listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Welcome back for another week of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. It is episode three, if you're looking at a list, but really episode two, where we're going to watch episode two of Saturday Night's Main Event. That's right. There's been a lot going on since the spring, through the summer, and into the early fall for the WWF. And we're going to look back and find the juiciest bits, the best content, the stuff that means the most to this upcoming show, set it all up, and get us off to reviewing the second ever Saturday night's main event. I got to say, it's starting strong. Uh, these programs are better than I remember. Or maybe it's just I don't remember anything. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely like, uh, as I mentioned, having not recorded the first four, five, six, how many ever it is, Saturday night's main events and only seeing them the one time, there's a lot more there to take in because it's like this new content in a way. It's this re-watching from some t- in some cases 30 years ago whatever it is yeah it's been a long time since i've seen these maybe saw it one more time sometime in the modern era but uh it just is, the other thing know. perhaps is that even from like 12 years old to 15 you know i just became so cynical hardened and bitter against the world you know <laughs> just, yeah, just kidding you know i still enjoy lots of things life is good yeah, wrestling yeah. is good but yeah, and as we stated in the last episode, there's things that we probably didn't even enjoy that much as kids that we enjoy more now as adults and find more humor in than we maybe we did then. Absolutely. Oh, it is so different, the perspective now, and I now love all the guys that I was just one of them off the screen at, at one point, but now I just can't get enough of these guys, <laughs> really. like I thought the uh, Bushwhackers were so goofy, but I prefer them when they were a bloodthirsty heel team, but yeah. you know, I'll now give them a chance again, you know, like I guess I'm, I still I'm currently holding my nose when I think of doink, but you know, maybe I'll <laughs> be able to let him back into my heart too. <laughs> Right, that's right. I think there was some pretty good stuff with him, at least the Matt Bourne version. I think the uh, the Ray, whatever his name is, the second one, the sort of the good guy doink. That was right. you know, that was some pretty bad stuff. Yeah. But yeah, there's I think you know there's a way to rewatch some of this stuff and kind of see it for the first time again. Okay, so what do we got? Okay, yeah. So there's so much information. There's so much stuff that happened. We're obviously not going to cover all of it, but we tried to peel through what we had access to the different shows, matches that came up, some important things that happened over the summer months going into the fall. So we thought we'd kind of run through that, hopefully uh, finding some laughs along the way and get ourselves properly set, properly ready to take in that second Saturday night's main event. Hang on for the ride. Before we really talk about the stuff that is related to WWF, I just ever so briefly want to talk about Hogan's Japan matches that happened right around this time in June. And Everyone's well aware that Hogan spent a lot of time wrestling in Japan, and most of the wrestlers did. There's a lot. It was a lot of money to be made, and we know there's a lot of classic, great matches that happened in Japan that we never saw on Canadian or American television. But geez, you know, when I looked at the list of matches that were on this particular tour, I was really quite confused because we know Hogan's at like the peak of like world, you know, successes. This hero. Yet I'm looking at his matches, and I'm really quite surprised. So the first match I came across was Antonio Inoki, who's like the big hero for like you know the, the federation they're they're in there wrestling with. 
I believe that would be New Japan wrestling. He was a, a national hero, not just a wrestling exactly, hero. Exactly, like, yeah. There was Inoki versus Muhammad Ali, of yep. course, which got international attention. Yeah. And uh, he's a guy that had bona fide. He was an actual athlete. I'm, you know, without looking at Wikipedia, <laughs> I expect he was a proper black belt, probably was in the Olympics. I'm just, you know, he, he was truly a hero to the Japanese Yeah, people. it was a really big deal. So there's a match listed, him and uh, Kenji Kimura, I probably said that wrong, but uh, versus Hogan, and guess who his partner is? Iron Mike Sharp. Isn't that wild? <laughs> I like, know. what? <laughs> I know. He was getting the one of those Enhancement Plus treatments over here, where he was uh, on TV, always jobbing, and uh, he, he would be able to dish out a little offense. He was one oh. guy, because he had the loaded wristband, so That's right. he was familiar, and he was really good, uh, yep. but he didn't beat anybody. <laughs> well, in other territories, he, you know, he was like a main eventer in some ways, or at least an upper mid-card kind of guy, but in the WWF, you're, you're quite right. He was essentially used as enhancement talent. He, you, if you look at card results, he was often in those opening matches against other enhancement talent, and then he would win all those matches. So he actually, he did win quite a few matches, but just never the, you know, never the, the, the premier ones, never the really high-profile matches. Not on TV. Not so much, yeah. It would be hard to find a match of him winning in WWF. So just a couple more that are really funny. Again, I, I didn't write down who the opponents were, but Hogan teaming with Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch. Wow. Now, I do know that those guys were tag team champions at one point. Of course, uh, yeah. This isn't that long after it. So, you know, with, within range, you know, of when they were the champs, yeah. Mm-hmm. That would be Adonis and Murdoch. And... uh I haven't really ever seen a lot of that footage, you know, maybe in some of my YouTube uh, yeah. searches. I, But I'd be more interested in, you know, searching Adonis with Ventura than right. I would Murdoch. Yeah, I went looking for this stuff, and what I was able to find was, like, matches in Japan of Hogan and somebody versus, you know, Murdoch and Adonis, not not teaming with them. Right. But it, this essentially tells me that Hogan's wrestling some of these matches as a heel. I wouldn't dispute that. Yeah, it's really neat. Okay, so that brings us, let's let's bring it back to North America. Let's come back to home soil here. And that would bring us to a Piper's Pit that involved the U.S. Express. So this is this follow-up to, like, the tag team division, them losing their titles. So it's pretty funny. I won't go too into blow into blow, but you you get in and, you know, Rotundo and Wyndham are sitting on either side of Piper. And, of course, Orton's standing behind him. And Piper, you know, right away is into his usual calling them losers <laughs> and about it losing belts. And Wyndham makes the good point, which many people make to Piper, is like, you know, you've never won it. You know, you've never won a belt. Oh, obviously only talking about WWF. And they're back and forth and they get pretty snippy. They they get mad and stand up at one point and, you know, Wyndham's threatening Orton and, and Rotundo's, you know, getting mad at Piper. So he's, again, I don't know, calm down, sit down, sit down. And so at some point he pulls up like a roll of toilet paper <laughs> and he starts giving it like their <laughs> tissues. He's like, you know, for you to cry, you know, like you wipe your tears away. <laughs> and uh, so they end up leaving the set, but they, they throw this roll of toilet paper at at Piper and it hits him in the stomach like a grenade went off and he sells it really well like he just he really has this big overreaction it's really funny <laughs> only Piper could take damage from a roll of toilet paper oh that sounds so good yeah yeah I, it was uh, it really uh, was funny I didn't intend to watch this I just kind of stumbled across right, it yeah well Piper man I almost think like that it's thanks to him 
that people will look at Hogan's in the ring charisma, but out of the ring, he's no match for a rowdy, rowdy. I mean, no. you know, Hogan never got his own, you know, hanging and banging with the Hogan, you know, with the, and like interviewing people, yeah. you know, for all his accolades That's and right. success. I mean, really, the star of the show is rowdy, rowdy yeah, Piper. Yeah, you know, we, we talked about how there's all these different people running, you know, the body shop and the this and the that, but like Piper was the only one who was like so consistently on those shows, like they almost went to him every single time. You know, it's really interesting that they wanted to keep, because he was just so good. It was just like, we can't not put this two or three minutes of uh, good television on. So that brings us to a match. So the chase has been on for a long time. We've got the U.S. Express against Sheik and Volkov. And we got uh, McMahon and Bruno on the call. And this time on this... Okay, now, can you tell me... Okay, we're not talking about Saturday Night's Main Event no, yet, by the way. No, this that. is after that. That's right. This is definitely we'll, after that. We, yeah, it'll be a little while before we get to the actual card because we have so much set up and build to yeah. discuss, you know, encounters, interviews, matches. So uh, just to distinguish... Yeah, I've got some dates here, and they're, I, I only... The dates I'm going to be saying are sort of the date they aired as opposed to the date they were filmed. So keep okay. that in mind. But right. June 17th, there's you know a version of this match is going to go on one of the television shows, one of the television properties. And so what we hear is we see Captain Lou coming out with the U.S. Express, but this time we can hear the boss. We can hear Bruce Springsteen. And it's like, you know, it's the crowd is going nuts. Oh. They're so excited for them to come out, you know, come out and come, you know, come after these heels and try, you know, this title match. And so it's really neat. I think the, you know, the, the, the look and the sound of it just really got me fired up. The the footage isn't the greatest. It's a little bit grainy, but I mean, it was giving me some it was giving me some chills. All the better, uh, you know, the grainy. Like I can't take uh, too realistic a la yeah. Blair Witch Project. That's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you know that phony shaky. I just meant the quality of the film, yeah. like you know, as opposed to well, like, yeah, the shape, it wasn't shaky. Yeah, you know that there's a nice personal touch to that grainy or yeah. Smoky footage. So th- this match is really familiar for us. I mean, we've most people have seen the, the WrestleMania match between the two of them so many times because Coliseum kept putting that match on so many different tapes, and I saw it so many different ways. But watching them wrestle, it was just very familiar. And uh, just before the, we get into the match, a couple things is that Rotundo was always Rotunda with an A. But when he came to the WWF, McMahon didn't like that, so he changed it to an O. So Mike Rotundo is, you know, actually Mike Rotunda. Oh. It was just kind of a strange a strange. I had, one. Uh, yeah, I've never really thought about it, but now that you mention it. And in that time, Wyndham would often get the wrong Chiron, meaning they look up on the screen, they would put a Y instead of an I, like Wind, like W-Y, Wyndham, you know, okay, as, so, as a mistake. Right, okay, so it's... Yeah, I, I think when I think about Barry Windham, I do not think why. Yeah, it's an I. It's definitely an I. It's just that that's a typo. But anyways, so there's one little spot from WrestleMania that I you know kind of I should have brought up in the last show, but I just want to do it now while we're still touching on the U.S. Express, and it's a it's a sort of a something I think has been like a lost art in wrestling, and they maybe never went to it as much as they thought they should have. So in the tag match, Sheik and Volkov get Rotunda down, and they like you know they're beating on him for several minutes. The match isn't that long, so it can only be so long. But you know he's in trouble. And at one point, Volkov's, you know, got him pinned down on the, on the ground. I think he's on his belly. Uh, that's Rotunda. And Volkov's controlling him, maybe, get, you know, hammer fisting him or something from the top. And he's so beat up, but he uses his wrestling skill to, like, reverse it. And he actually, like, ends up on top of Volkov with, like, a hammer lock. But he's so beat up that he actually can't hold him down. You know what I mean? And then he ends up, Volkov gets out of that, and, the, the, you know, the match continues. So the point is that I'm surprised that they maybe don't use something like that a bit more in a match, like where these guys that are true wrestlers, that they're like hyping up their you know amateur background, that they kind of don't 
they don't use that as ways to, you know, switch momentum. Well, especially nowadays with these young punks, you'd never know that the wrestling used to be an Olympic sport, you <laughs> lousy flipping. Um, yeah, well, you know, I never thought about that, but uh, uh, jesting aside, um, there, I think, is a real de-emphasis on wrestling as a sport, you know, today, and what you're mentioning pushes wrestling as a sport. Wyndham's able to use, you know, I would have thought that more so out of Rotundo Rotunda because, you yeah. know, he goes on to really um, push the varsity club angle and, you yeah. know, he wears the outfit. He looks, he almost, I think he probably even puts on the ear protectors, if not him. He, uh, I think he does. He doesn't. Steiner, Steiner does. But, okay. uh, you know, but I mean, he definitely has he what might looks wear... like, he look. he has what looks like his collegiate wrestling outfit on, like, yeah. you know, as part of the varsity club. Which yeah. is, you know, great because if, you know, you're... Bouncing around from persona to persona, it's kind of cool to fall back on something that's legitimate and real yeah, because sure. then nobody's like, oh, man, repo, man, give me a break. <laughs> you know, like a guy who's been through four or five identities winds up with something that's a bit of a throwaway, <laughs> you know. Um, the world title runs coming any day now. <laughs> that's right. The repo man's on his way up. <laughs> but uh, Wyndham, you know, uh, is a cowboy shtick you know in the long yeah. term you know from lineage yes. and then subtly even as it goes down the road there's always just some it's whether it's his kind of cowboy boot yeah, his style hat, his, his vest or whatever or, or even like, just the way he wears his kerchief you know yeah. like he never lost that blackjack flavor a little bit yeah and so you know rotundo was more the technical wrestler and yeah Wyndham was more the cowboy in a very subtle way i'm just yeah. and also long term as you watch them go forward and yeah. then speaking of crazy shticks rotundo is also falls prey to irs yeah yeah but uh <laughs> well there's plenty of time for us to explore for sure. that yeah there'll be no end of that so yeah end of the match you know it's what we expect from them there's some back and forth i, I did laugh hard at the beginning though uh windham and volkoff or uh you know, mixing it up back and forth. And at one point, Wyndham whips Volkov into the ring, into the ropes. And Volkov would kind of do this sometimes where he would like, he would come off the rope and avoid his opponent. So he would, at an angle, he would do like a cartwheel. Right. I <laughs> and mean, then, and then he would be so proud of himself. He would turn around and like cheer and Wyndham <laughs> times it perfect and just drop kicks him in the face as he turns back around. It's really funny. I can't say enough about Nikolai Volkov. I think I've said to you, if you go back and look at pictures from him about five to six years prior to this Volkov that we met yeah. and, and absorbed, did he ever look like the scariest, strongest guy that yeah. was just drinking beer at the end of the bar? And if you pissed him off, you were dead. Like yeah. he was not a, and, and I don't think he had to take roids. He's just one of these natural, yeah, he's very uh, you know, thick. Yeah. It's a different kind of muscles. He's not like a sculpted. He nope. wasn't like uh, the he man and the masters of the universe body, you know, on so many of these guys, yeah, which also like looked cool. But, or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But go back and look at seventies Volkov. And then yeah. I watched him in the ring too. And amazing feats of strength that he would pull off. And he was scary looking in the seventies. I mean, this is me just two years ago going yeah. like, Holy cow. Nikolai Volkov looks scarier than Nikita Koloff at his. Right. Yeah. You know, he definitely his... had a different gimmick. I'm forgetting it now, but he was a tag champ with a, a under a totally different gimmick in the seventies, like in the, in, you know, WWF. Oh, yeah. Okay, so then I saw early Volkov as far as persona. Yeah, he probably was under a different name. Okay, well, we'll yeah. we'll check out that for corrections. Yeah. Um, but it's a different physical specimen. Yeah. But uh, as we'll see, he's still got incredible power, and yeah. as Corey's saying, he's got this terrific agility. Yeah. And also, um, he's and a great. Career, one he's, more he's thing, comedy, right? It's like he's a great singer. Oh yes. <laughs> 
He's got a wonderful voice. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I've actually done a bit of singing. You, you'll get to know us uh, as these programs unfold. But from time to time, I have sung for audiences, yeah. whether it's a parking lot in a <laughs> liquor store or actually uh, there was a fun run where <laughs> thousands of people left the building as I began to sing. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay. On your way. See, you know, it was, it was a, yeah. you know, a bit of a disaster. But so, yeah, it's singing wise Volkov gets thumbs up yeah so uh, back to the match so yeah Wyndham and Rotundo you know doing well at first and then there's a, a sneaky Sheik does a knee from the outside like Rotundo's bouncing off the ropes and Sheik's able to sneak the knee in and that gets them the advantage and finally after a couple of different times of seeing Sheik I never get, he's never doing any moves in these matches you know like in the Saturday's main event they just get their asses kicked the whole time and in another match he doesn't do anything so I finally get to see him do a, a side suplex because there's like the stuff that Sheik did that was like looked so good, like you know, better than almost any, and we still haven't seen one. I'm gonna have to wait till something else comes up. But like the back side, like the side back, like belly to back, Sheiky suplex, which other than Matt, Mr. Saido is like the best in like the business. Like there's the you know, it's it's Saido, it's Sheik, and then there's a huge cliff, and then everybody else. And to this day, like now, people like the announcers in modern wrestling will call it a Saido, Saido suplex, but they can do it as well. And uh, now tell me again, which way did Saido do it? Belly so to belly, belly to back, or belly, belly to, back? to back, but off to the side slightly. So he's not—he's not like directly behind you. He's kind that of on becomes, a forty—he's right. on a forty-five degree angle behind you. Because that can like, become a pinning maneuver, right? Like a like a German suplex or something. Yeah, but yeah. That's so it's not... slightly different than a German because a German you're directly behind your opponent. Yeah, when you throw and you them. and you and you put their shoulders on the mat, yeah. an arch, uh, yeah. your back, bridge your back, right? Yeah, but the way Sheik and Saido would do it is they were more off on their hip a bit, and so slightly to the side. And that sort of opened up a window, a lane for them to really slam that guy back in a way that didn't, you know, didn't have them like, you know, on top, the, the person on top of themselves. What I would have liked to have seen was the feat of strength that the Iron Sheik was capable of, where he took these really heavy looking yeah. wooden clubs. And uh, he Persian just, clubs, I believe they refer to that. Yeah. Persian clubs. Right. Well, I really only ever saw it looking back at the time. I never saw this sh- this gimmick, yeah. this shtick. And he revisited it in a very brief run he had in WCW. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think I saw a clip of him doing it in front of Sting. But okay, you know, yeah, yeah. Anyway, had a match. it is an impressive. Uh, yeah, there was. I, I remember hearing that, like, you know, that was always the joke is like all these big, strong guys back there, but like n- almost none of them could do it. He was like the only guy that, you know, because there's a technique to it, I guess. Well, he had incredible core strength for yeah. these suplexes and this club trick. Yeah. So, uh, too bad for him, though. Andre didn't like him. (laughs) He would throw him (laughs) around, stretch him. (laughs) So, that suplex leads to a camel clutch. So, it looks like the U.S. Express is, like, in pretty big trouble here. Make you humble. (laughs) Break your back. (laughs) Better win them, Mike Rotondo. I'll make you humble, camel clutch. So yeah, Wyndham gets in to break the count, and then basically Sheik goes for a suplex, goes for a vertical suplex, like holding Rotundo straight up, feet to the sky, and Rotundo reverses it, like he shifts his weight, and he comes down into this small package, Mm. and Nikolai comes into the ring, and basically takes Rotundo and shifts it, so now that Sheik's on top, so now Sheik's going for the pin. But the funny thing is, is that the ref catches him, so the ref chases Nikolai out of the ring, and then Wyndham sneaks in and shifts it back. (laughs) <laughs> and then the ref comes down and does like one of the fastest counts you've ever seen in the history of wrestling. One, two, three, and bang, new champs. I love it. Yeah, it was great. I don't. And the crowd goes nuts. I gee whiz. I 
I got to watch this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty fun. So, you know, that was uh, an important happening. There's a title change and, uh, you know, really you just wanted to get that in there. Obviously, the U.S. Express aren't on this upcoming Saturday Night event, but, uh, you know, didn't want to miss out on a chance to talk about that. And also, obviously, Nikolai is such a huge part of the card coming up, so felt it was very relevant. Yeah, things move quickly right now uh, as far as the tag team scene. You're like, I have to concentrate to be like, can who and what? Because uh, shortly, we'll be talking about... Another match. <laughs> exactly, and a cigar. That's right. Gets heavily involved. We'll get there. So the next thing coming up, sort of chronologically, I believe it was like happened in May and aired later, and it's uh, another Roddy Piper seg- segment. And pardon me, it was June, June 29th, and a certain hillbilly. Yeah, well, hillbilly Jim has been recovering from an injury. We are told, and he shows up on Piper's fit- pit, and it's the typical scenario. They always put somebody in a vulnerable situation, alone, unguarded, <laughs> with Piper, who has. Ace Cowboy Bob Orton behind him with his cast. So it's always the tension that the guest is going to get double teamed. And uh, Hillbilly Jim is not invited to sit. And as a matter of fact, he's so <laughs> cautious that they are awkwardly shooting off camera. I mean, that's, that happens a lot with Piper's Pit, you know, because yeah. he's really, he doesn't want to be scripted and he doesn't want to uh, sit still. And, you know, <laughs> it works in the long run, but it could be a, a nightmare for production. Anyway, so yeah, Hillbilly Jim comes on, and it's the usual thing. Piper's mouthing off and provoking him until things look finally so dangerous because Ace Cowboy closes in slowly, but surely he gets closer and closer, and the face is like, hey, wait, 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 you know, and he has to call for backup. And in comes a guy almost as tall as Big John Stud. Wow. Um, actually, we would have to look at the numbers. It, yeah. when, but it, Uncle Elmer, a That's big... Right. Bowling ball, a huge man comes in, and uh, Piper's great at turning on the coward when he needs to. It's not as usual, but, you know, it's fun when he does it. And so uh, they end up uh, running away. (laughs) Yeah, I do think I saw that a long time ago, so that does sound very familiar. But, yeah, yeah, Elmer's sort of like, you know, as far as the big men go of of that time, he was sort of the goofiest looking of them all, but hey, he's a big guy and doesn't need to do anything except stand there. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so the next one again is something that's not super. Uh, it is relevant to the Saturday Night Event car, but it's again we just can't pass up the opportunity to to look at it. And we know at WrestleMania one, I talked about in the last episode. You know, it was sort of like I had wished that you know Tito had wrestled you know Valentine instead of Junkyard Dogs I think we would have got a lot better match and I think they could have created a much better moment but um you know here we are in the summer of 85 you know the 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 chase is on Tito's coming back and I I had to go back and look at it because I'd seen a lot of this stuff the one thing I think I'd never seen was when Greg Valentine took the title from Tito Santana I probably haven't seen it. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, I, it's pretty unlikely I I've seen I, it. I think, I'm pretty sure I'd never seen it. I, I watched it last night. It did not look familiar. I knew some of the details of it. But so in, in a oh, shoot. Oh, wait. You just said you found it. Yeah, I did watch it last night. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I didn't I didn't have it like set up beforehand. So, you know. Okay, I, yeah, okay. I'm, so I'm go on. Go yeah. On. So in, in real life, like from shooter interviews with Tito, he talks about around that time that a real life knee injury started to really affect him in the ring. Like he started really having a lot of pain. He was getting through his matches, but it was getting bad. He even recounted one story of Andre having to carry him up the stairs to his hotel room. Cause he couldn't, he couldn't make it up, you know, when he had to he wrestled that night and he had to wrestle the next day. So finally he, you know, agrees to go get this like minor cert, you know, minor uh, procedure done. And so they have to write it into storyline. So they decide that they're going to do this Greg Valentine angle. 
So there's a match. And at this point, Lou Albano is is Greg Valentine's manager. And because Jimmy Hart's not even in the WWF yet. And Tito's coming to the ring, and Lou Albano's in the ring with Valentine, and Lou Albano comes over to the ropes to kind of prevent Tito from getting into the ring. And Tito hasn't even taken his jacket off or anything yet. And Valentine sneaks around the ring while they're arguing, and he gives a couple of quick boots to the side of Tito's leg. I mean, it doesn't really look that devastating, but Tito sells it like he's been hit with a sledgehammer, like he's limping bad for the rest of the match. And maybe it's sort of that idea of, like, he really does have a knee injury, so let's, you know, let's work around this. So Tito gets in, and for people who maybe are a bit younger and only started watching around maybe, let's say, 90, 91 or something, Tito Santana doesn't always get a lot of respect from those people because they sort of see him as this glorified jobber. But, man, like, people that got to watch, like, this early 80s, mid-80s Tito, like, he was hot. Like, he was a huge baby face. Crowds loved him, and he was a great performer. And in a different sort of world and time, he easily could have been the world champion. Like, he, you know. Uh, I believe he was considered for a world title run. Absolutely, yeah. And, of course, we got to see him on AWA Wrestling in Winnipeg when we were really young. Yeah, and he was Yeah. It was only a little bit, but somehow it made a huge impression. Yeah. Because when I did get to see more of Tito, it was like, I know yeah. him. I love always, him. Always loved Tito. And he just, you know, around this time, you know, his, his intercontinental title runs and some of his earlier stuff he did with, like, you know, he had a couple of tag title runs. He was just so good. So he gets in this ring on one leg and he is just firing off on Greg Valentine, like just beating the crap out of him. And the match goes back and forth, and I'll kind of, like, skip us to the end. But you're saying they, behind the scenes, they want to take the belt off Santana. Yeah, so Santana that he needs can... to take some time off here, so this is the setup for it. So there's this interesting point in the match where, you know, Tito's has his big comeback, and he ducks a clothesline after, you know, when Greg's trying to reverse things, and hits a really beautiful flying forearm. And there's a three count, but the ref looks after he's hit the mat, and Greg's foot is under the rope. So he slaps Tito on the back to let him know that like the match is still going on, but Tito doesn't realize it. So he gets up and he starts cheering to the other, you know, to the camera side with his back. And Valentine just gets up real quick. A little bit of bad selling as far as like he kind of got up too easily there after the, you know, the devastating flying forearm. And he just comes, he just drives in with a knee to the lower back and pins him. And you're just like, what? Because I always remembered Greg Valentine did the leg injury. That was the whole idea. You know, he put him up with an injury. But the injury comes after the match because basically he pins him and then there's a skirmish after the match. And that's when Valentine puts the figure four on him. And that's where the kayfabe, you know, broke his leg and that whole thing. And so now he has to have the, you know, the surgery. They do some, you know, vignettes about that. And then he comes back in time for WrestleMania. Now, Alba- executioner. was Albano at this match where, where Valentine yeah, takes the belt? That's right. He's the distraction at the beginning that, uh, you know. That, that allows Greg to get these sneaky leg kicks in to... Uh, wow, you know, this is interesting for me because I don't think I had any wrestling magazines at this point. Yeah. Uh, or at least if I was, I, I, I don't really remember seeing pictures of Albano with Valentine. Yeah, I was surprised when I saw him. I mean, I'm sure maybe in the back of my mind I'd known that, but it didn't ring a bell to me. I was like, oh, Albano and Valentine, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, especially since he was so key to this uh, rock and wrestling explosion. Yeah. And uh, as we've said, it was Albano meeting Cindy Lauper on an aeroplane that That's right, uh, yeah. led to him being in the video and uh, yeah. solidified this rock and wrestling connection. That's right, yeah. So... Tito says that, you know, the reason they didn't wrestle at WrestleMania was that they wanted to save it for the house show. So they were running their double shows, sometimes triple shows. And as a B card, they were going around selling out arenas with Valentine and Tito on on top. Tito chasing Valentine. 
So it's a series of matches, obviously, from the time WrestleMania happens until now. So they kind of blow it off. They're at the Baltimore Civic Center. It's a it's a house show, and it's a cage match. I yeah. believe you got a chance to watch this, I right? I did. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's it's terrific. I did watch it, and I was highly... I'd never seen it. All yeah. these, I mean, I've known that the belt went back and forth. Yeah. You know, well, not exactly, to be specific. Tito had the belt, and as Corey just explained very, very well, Valentine took it for a while. Yeah. And now... The evening <laughs> is uh, set for Tito to get his revenge after That's he's right. been injured. And so they get into a cage. It's not the blue ladder cage. No, it's, nope. the, it's the NWA, AWA cage. Yeah, the kind of cage that we're all used to seeing, or rather like a fence around, say, a, a schoolyard or something, you know, yeah. where you can kind of climb it and get your foot into these diamond sort of sections. Yeah. And because this is a house show, they don't have proper commentary on it they've added gorilla monsoon clearly after the fact and unfortunately it really dulls the crowd noise i mean you can see at times the crowd is jumping up and down and you can barely hear them so like yeah and he's unaffected by the atmosphere of the arena so it really right. is much weaker than yeah like having... i'd seen that a few times that match i don't remember the audio being so bad on it but i just probably didn't notice at the time or maybe they had redone it at some point it feels like this is the worst of everything come together he has got nobody else to talk to yes. he's like at home on the couch you know you can sort of <laughs> you can hear the peanut bowl rattling and uh, it just it just doesn't re- it doesn't work it takes away from the match yeah so you know it's a longer match so i'm not going to try to cover too much but he really got to cover the end because it's a beautiful ending so it's a really intense back and forth match they're really hitting each other hard there's several attempts by both men to escape greg finds himself a couple of different times where he's got like the, the top half of his torso out and he's just like reaching for the floor with his hands and Tito's grad dragging him back in. Yeah. The one thing I did think was that uh, Tito comes in so hot for revenge, but at about 75 seconds, he's like, I'm out of here. and starts climbing the yeah, cage. I'm right. like, wait, yeah. wait a minute. I yeah. thought you wanted a bigger piece of Valentine before you. <laughs> yeah. I know you want your belt back, but. Uh, we, like... we, we always laugh at the the, the structure of a, of a WWF cage match and the, the just absolutely backwards thinking of like the purpose of a cage match and the way to win it. And it's like, I'm going to kick your ass now. Get out of the way. I got to go through that door (laughs) exactly because you know really there are so many heels who pull the uh bail out of the ring to get a breather that's right and the uh, stall tactics exactly i mean it's a key part of the prelude to any match is you know the the weight and like Corey's described some great pre-match shtick which is just comedy gold and the bell hasn't even rung I think that was the uh, Midnight Express. Yeah, that's right. And the yeah. uh, Rock and Roll Express. Yeah, the sneak attack episode that's on the bonus yeah, side of things. Yeah, yeah. and just like, it, we're not talking about fighting yet. Yeah, we're just yeah. talking about working the crowd and being yeah. entertainers. And so, but part of the other part of that is just like, it's, it's a chance for heels to be cowardly and avoid their comeuppance yeah. and to stay out and of the... And to get the crowd all whipped up because yeah. they're like, come on, just fight. And yeah, it's so like, no, I'm not going to let you have that yet. I'm going <laughs> to... So the cage, you would think, ostensibly, is there so that the heel cannot pull the... I'm on the run. You can't get your hands on me. And like the ref is counting and they're waiting patiently for the heel. That's what the cage should be there for. So that the heel can't run. That's right. But no, this is some silly like whoever runs away first is the winner is the most, you know, the most cowardly is the most heroic. That's right. Reverse thinking. That's well put. Yeah, that's right. You know, at one point, Tito hits the flying forearm. It looks really good, but hey, you can't pin a guy in this match, so that doesn't doesn't totally set it up. And there's another spot where Greg just lawn darts Tito into the cage. Like, he literally is, like, horizontal going into that cage. It looks really vicious. And But really, you know, it, what ends up happening is we come down to the, the end of this match is Tito decides he's all hurt. 
but he's he, but he's got the advantage, and he decides he's going to climb the cage. But in the middle, he's not in the corner. He's like in the middle of the of the cage. So he's going up under the top rope. The ropes are pretty flimsy at this day you know, day and age. So he's really bending. So he's pulling himself up on the cage, and he's getting near the top. He's getting his leg up so he can swing himself over. So at this point, Greg Valentine climbs up more towards the corner of the cage, and he's attacking Tito to stop him and put him back in. But Tito nails him with like a really good right hand, and Greg takes this bump where he falls down into the corner. And it's he gets this realization. He does a pretty good facial. He looks around and realizes like the door's right there, and Tito's still up on top of the cage. So Valentine calls for the door to open, and he's starting to escape to win, you know, to successfully defend his title. But Tito does something that I don't recall ever happening at any other time, and he comes swinging around. He's sort of on the corner of that cage, and he swings around with his foot, and he kicks the door and just drills Valentine right in the face as he's leaving, knocking him back into the ring, and then Tito drops for the successful win. Santana with a right hand drops the champion, and Tito's just about out of there. Santana with both legs now, over the top of the steel cage. Look at Valentine. He just realizes where the door is. Open the door. He says, I'm coming. Wow. What a tremendous move by Tito Santana. There's your winner. It was amazing booking. Yeah, it was great angle. Looked super cool. Uh, safe, we hope. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the crowd really popped for it. It was excellent. Yeah, yeah. And there's this crazy post-match where, um, so they got the green intercontinental title belt. And Valentine goes nuts and he basically destroys the belt. He starts smacking it on the posts and the cage. He cracks the uh, plates and he destroys the belt. What a sore loser. Yeah, and then Tito comes in and chases him off and holds up this, you know, damaged goods to the crowd and they cheer <laughs> like crazy. So it's funny, all these years later, though, there's a pretty good story about that. So there's a shoot interview series called Kayfabe Commentaries. I believe Sean Oliver is the name of the host. And he, does, uh, he did a series where he interviewed Tito and he interviewed Greg about their feud, and then he brought them together in the same room at the same time. And I was able to see segments of this. I didn't see the whole thing, but I saw this one part that really, like, you know, was key. <laughs> it's where Greg Valentine asked Tito what he did with the belt. And Tito explains that his wife just threw it away. You know, it was just garbage. He had these pieces. And, he, and the look on Greg Valentine's face, and he says, do you know how much money I could have made with that belt? Because, <laughs> you know, selling of belts has become such big business, and this, the collectors are so into it and pay such, such big money. Had Tito just kept the strap and the pieces of the belt, got it mounted on something, you know, he could have he sold that for big bucks. Oopsie. <laughs> yeah, right. It's pretty good. That's, uh, you know, for all you hoarders out there, you probably feel a little better about that <laughs> right. pile of crap you've been meaning to deal with. That's right. So that, you know, that gives us a second title change over the summer, you know, important stuff happening here. And we'll swing back into maybe a little bit more directly related to Saturday Night's main event. Yeah, they really did squander WrestleMania and the heat that Valentine and Santana had. Too bad that that wasn't a part of WrestleMania. Yeah. In New England wrestling history, rain or shine, this Monday night, July 8th, Sullivan Stadium in Foxborough. All of the action getting underway at 7.30 p.m. Good seats are still on sale at all Ticketron locations in the area. A big night. It's going to be a one-night elimination tournament to determine who is the king of the ring. There will be a beautiful trophy awarded to the winner. Among the entrants in this prestigious tournament, you will see the junkyard dog, Tito Santana, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, B. Ryan Blair, Pedro Morales, Superfly Snooker, Ricky Steamboat, Magnificent Morocco, The Iron Sheik, Cowboy Bob Orton, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Brutus Beefcake, Terry Funk, The Spoiler, and 
In addition, for the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship, Hulk Hogan will defend his belt against Nikolai Volkov. It is a night of wrestling action that you certainly don't want to miss. This Monday night, the WWF in Foxborough at Sullivan Stadium. Okay, so we're on to a July 9th TV taping, and we see a match with Paul, Mr. Wonderful Orndorff, versus a mass wrestler by the name of The Axe. And we ain't talking about demolition. No, it's not Bill 80. It's not the masked superstar. And it's not Axe from Demolition. It is, in fact, well, we don't know who it is. And <laughs> we're going to have a little fun. I'm going to try to figure it out as uh, we cover this little point in history. That's but right. further to the context, Heenan has placed a bounty that's right. I'm Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff, because as we covered, he got fired by Orndorff <laughs> and tore apart Piper's pit. And uh, now anybody can go in there and try to claim the $25,000 by taking out Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. So, um, all right then. I made one phony guess, because really, uh, <laughs> at who the axe is. But uh, let's watch it, and then uh, I'll see if I can throw out a couple of more guesses I think I'm going to lose this pretty badly. Yeah, I, took, I, I thought he'd looked familiar, but I was not able to place it myself without investigating. The footage we're watching is a little bit dark, too. He looks a bit like a killer bee there. <laughs> he's actually pretty in shape. Yeah, really he's very in shape. Guy. Fit yeah. guy. He's got a yellow mask. Here comes Orndorff through the uh, those orange doors. It reminds me of, uh, I know this is one of the regular TV taping places, but it's that, yeah, that location where they actually come out. Of, you know, just these two random doors look so different than what we're used to in modern wrestling. Yeah, the high school gym angle. Yeah. But it's not a high school gym. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big arena. Yeah. And uh, comes Mr. Wonderful with his nice red jack, his red robe. And those awesome sequins, very sparkly. Yeah. So here comes the... <laughs> ah, the axe is on him already. So the axe is taller, quite a bit taller. Yeah. That's why at first I actually, you know, yeah. I actually thought like uh, Barry Windham for a second, but, uh, yeah, no, but more not. muscular than Windham. Yeah. So that height and those That was muscles. a great flop there. <laughs> Wonder punched him yeah. and he corkscrewed on his flop. And that's about that's the end tell. of uh, the axe there as far as his offense goes. But we have to remember people aren't watching what okay, we're watching. Okay, so, so. Let's see, let's see. did we see this guy in the AWA? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Uh, he will debut in the WWF pretty soon under a character, and we'll see what, uh, you know. Okay. okay. Uh, let's see. He will make his debut. So uh, let's see. That guy, uh, it's not Beefcake, is it? No. No, it's, no. Not, it's not big enough for Beefcake. No, beef, and also Beefcake's currently wrestling yeah, in, the, course, in, in the, the Federation. Student, yes. Let's see. Oh, boy. There would be some level of, let's say, patriotism to his... Uh... Um, okay. Well, that makes me think of Corporal Kirshner, not the <laughs> ding, same ding, body. Ding. Really? That's Corporal Kirshner. Wow. He gets yeah. a lot bigger. I guess he roids up shortly. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, it was like, it, it took me a little while. There's a really good website that breaks down who different wrestlers are and what their, you know, all their different things are. And there's a lot of different people listed as the Axe. And I was watching, looking at some message boards, and somebody was like, that's Corporal Kirshner. And then somebody's like, no, it's not. And then it's this person, it's that person. They named a bunch of different people. So then as I was going through this um, this website I found with information, and I came across the ex that was Corporal Kirshner, who was WWF and had that. Like, the other people didn't have WWF ties, I guess. So I was like, okay, this has to be, it's got to be it. Well, I kind of 
wanted better things for Corporal Kirshner because he had a good look. I almost thought like he could have been a bulldog because he had that beef and that brown hair and, you know, <laughs> but uh, he didn't ever really get a chance to shine in the ring and he more or less jobbed for, you know, elite level. Yeah. Um, on house shows, he probably, different story. Yeah, I mean, but... he certainly won lots of matches, but I, I've read where people said, yeah, they didn't think he was the greatest worker. He really needed a lot of help in there ah. from his, uh, you know, opponents had to really right. carry things for him. Um, right. So, yeah, and he probably wasn't a very good promo, I would say. Well, basically, when I first laid eyes on him, I thought, this could be good, but I guess it yeah. didn't really pan out. Because, yeah. I mean, look, for example, Sergeant Slaughter was, you know, good character, the whole nasty drill sergeant style of uh, archetype, yeah. but uh, he didn't necessarily look like a very athletic type of no, guy. No, it never did, no. No. Even his younger days. Even when they made a G.I. Joe figure, he wasn't, you know, he was sort of a big pot-bellied guy, just really tall. Yeah, the figure looked a lot more impressive than the uh, man it was based on. Right. Yeah, so uh, after after a little flurry at the beginning, the Yaks just, you know, eats it. Orndorff pounds on him, and Jeff just, uh, yeah, take back over there. So as I mentioned earlier, there is a bounty on the head of Paul, Mr. Wonderful Orndorff, and who better to collect it than his arch rival at this point in time which is rowdy roddy piper so who jumps into the ring after the quick match is over but rowdy roddy and he's already in his ring gear he doesn't have to take his shirt off or anything he just attacks paul mr wonderful orndorff but here's the hilarious thing is he like <laughs> he uh, gives him a couple of punches and then throws him out of the ring over the top rope and then he turns around to collect the twenty five grand. Yeah, yeah, it's like I eliminated you from a two person battle royal. I get the I get the bounty. Yeah, so that's <laughs> and he didn't looks like he's gonna hand him the bag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're just for one second going, what the hell? <laughs> but Orndorf isn't finished. He comes back in, and a brawl ensues with Piper. Like not just a brawl, but a locker room clearing. Yeah, melee. Uh, well, or it gets in there first, so it's the it's a brief two on one. Right, <laughs> and then I think does. Does Orndorf blade? Or what we keep watching? No, no, no. That's no, a different no. clip. That's, yeah. That's okay. Different, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's right. They, I think there's about 20 wrestlers in the ring <laughs> by the time even, they're done. The footage isn't the greatest. I mean, I spot like you know, let's say Moondog spot and like Pedro Morales. I heard them say Tito was in there, although I never saw him. I recognized a few of the jobbers that were in there, but yeah, it's right. a really like a lot of wrestlers are in this ring holding them apart. Yet they're still breaking away and getting kicks in at each other. And yeah, so they're really still playing out long term the whole Orton versus Piper. Oh, fuck, why do I keep saying that? Orndorff. It's not my yeah. fault. It's not fair. Orndorff, Orton. <laughs> They're just so, so similar in that first syllable. That's right. Yeah, it's, it is tricky with the Orton and Orndorff, and it does come out. Okay, so that's going to bring us to a July 13th match, which really is a, you know, a fallout from this, what we just saw with Piper and Orndorff. So it's a match between the two, the two men. Getting at it, getting down. So they're at Madison Square Garden. So this is something we got through Madison Square Garden Network. It's funny that there's some uh, there's some very distinct Rowdy Rowdy Piper fans in the crowd. A bit rare for the time. You know, back in the mid-80s, cheering for the heels wasn't as cool as it became, you know, later on. So it was neat to see some uh, people... And one guy actually in one of the cards I saw, I don't think it was this one, but he's got the Hulkamania shirt on, but then he's got the Rowdy Piper sign. So I wanted to freeze frame that shot and show you <laughs> that, like, you know, the contrast of that yeah. guy. Yeah, it's the thing about that is like the uglier and worse the sign is, the more authentic and genuine you can That's probably right, yeah. count on it being. Like That's somebody right. actually spent some time, you know, taking apart their Ritz cracker box yeah. so they could write on the inside with a marker. <laughs> like there was uh, this really awful one amongst the stuff where like um Orndorf 
smokes piper and like somebody had drawn like a the clumsiest refrigerator art somebody smoking a pipe because yeah. piper like orndorff is just is terrible <laughs> <laughs> you'll spot the phony signs in the crowd from time to time where you can just tell that somebody from the wwf gave these fans you know like here are these prefabricated that's right printer quality professionally done really <laughs> glitzy signs to yeah. hold that's right. I call bullshit. <laughs> so we got uh, Piper Norton in the ring, and uh, you know, very recognizable Madison Square Garden look. It's you know, that's uh, you know, you, you know, it's big time. Paul Orndorff gets the Hogan treatment. He's uh, he's in the gorilla position, walking with you know the camera in the in the, you know in the in the hallway, coming out to come out to the ring, and gets a big pop. And you know, it's it's worth noting that Paul Orndorff didn't have any music, so he was one of those guys that you know came Never out. Never had a theme song particularly. Yeah. Yeah, there's a point where he starts using Hogan's theme song, like, you know, <laughs> mockingly, but... <laughs> oh, right, right, right. But you're right. I don't think he ever... And maybe in WCW, I guess they must have I think he did. But, I uh, accidentally was um, trying to look up uh, something and came across a uh, Paul Warner theme song, and yeah. I was like, what? Well, you know... <laughs> yeah. And there was one, so, but I think 95 or 4 or 6. Yeah. One thing I noticed as he's coming out to the ring is that his left hand is wrapped up, and I'm not talking about like a Ronnie Garvin tape job where I'm going to punch you. More like my fingers are injured and like you know, yeah, a splint on one of his fingers, yeah. the big piece of metal. That's right, yeah. So he looks like eh, a little bit, a little bit of trouble there. As expected, this match is just a crazy slugfest. It's really intense. Now the only difference between this match and some of the other ones I've seen is that it's a bit of a longer match. They do slow things down a bit, but you know, it's really a fight. It's not a wrestling match. It's like they're in there to like punch each other in the face, and you know, this will be consistent. Yeah, exactly. You know, and when and when Orndorff gets rocking and starts hitting those right hands one after the other after the other, and Orndor- and uh, Piper selling for for him, you know, the crowd just really really gets into it so um i didn't realize piper did such a great funky chicken like he yeah. <laughs> he does uh you know the whole yeah, like he's f- having an epileptic fit yeah, some something. of his selling like we saw some selling in the one match was making his laugh sometimes it doesn't look so great he's sort of better at delivering the offense than taking it but uh certainly there are times when it's really funny um so if mr t's punching him nothing but yeah, uh, if, right. if orndorff punching him yeah he's everything willing, he loves him yeah he's willing to to put up for him there so yeah, so after, obviously, you know, Orndorff's on him for a little while, and then Piper is selling and selling, and eventually he gets the heat on Orndorff, and he's, you know, he's 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 doing a lot of eye rakes and things like that to disrupt the flow, and uh, at one point, Paul finally, after, you know, have, taking a lot of damage, gets this reversal, he does this backslide, so he gets this near two count, and then, but Piper, of course, is in better shape than Orndorff at this point, you know, he, he kicks out, and he immediately he's up, and Orndorff's slow to get up, so Piper's waiting for him on his knees, and he gives him the old whoop. Like, right. you know, the old, I poke from the ground. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. And uh, one thing I got to ask is that yeah. I have a memory. It's probably wrong. But anyway, I think that one guy was strangling with somebody else with a microphone cable. But now I and I feel like I saw it in a wrestling magazine or something like that. But I haven't spotted it in like the three or four matches that we're what that we've done as research. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for the microphone strangle. Yeah. Uh, and I guess it doesn't happen in yours or you're, you would tell me, but. Yeah, I haven't I come know. across it yet either. So mm. when you said it, it sounded familiar, but maybe we've conflated some of the yeah. memory. And, oh, yeah. So there's this big exchange, and Piper's really selling the right hand. And, of course, he just starts doing that great, like, boxing with ghosts. You know, like, he's not even facing the right way, and he's taking he's taking swings. And, yeah, yeah, that is really good. So disoriented, like, he's fighting enemies on all yeah. sides. And then so he takes good. one more punch in the face, and he does what I would almost call, like, a reverse flare flop. He just, like, a... <laughs> 
and he goes goes flying backwards, like, uh, his pipers, feet off the ground. Yeah, yeah. like they're the, the selling in this whole series of matches is fantastic. And there's one part where uh, I think he's on the outside, and Orndorff pulls him back in, up off in the apron by his hair, and then into the ring to the point where he's like feet are hanging on the rope, and I think he's like sort of say he's horizontal, like, and then Or and then Orndorff just like lets him drop, like smash face first onto the canvas. It's pretty good. Uh, you know, the match continues, and, and Orndorff's getting the uh, the upper hand, but uh, ends up becoming a DQ situation because Mr. Ace Orton, he pushes Paul Orndorff off the top rope when he's going up for, you know, he's going up for a shot on Piper. He gets shoved off. The ref sees it, gives the DQ. And then, of course, the cash shot comes in and a two-on-one beatdown. And this is where we kind of maybe thought a minute ago when we were talking that uh, this is where the blood comes. So Orndorff ends up with a bloody face and the two of them are really uh, putting the boots to him. And beating on him a lot, they give him a double suplex, and then out, out it comes. And I can't even imagine in my head. I'm like, what? The British Bulldogs? They come charging out to say to save uh, Orndorff, and I'm just thinking like the British Bulldogs fighting with Piper and Orton. It's just so feels feels so like a dream. <laughs> like what? Well, this is exactly pretty much the same booking as the match that I watched on the WWE Network, and I know we're about to cover it, but. Essentially, I'll be saying what he said earlier, you know, so we're going to go through that really quickly. I haven't watched the match you're describing, but it basically, that is ex exactly how I would describe yeah. the one that's currently available on WWE Network and that I was assigned to watch. I thought you were going to say Andre saves him. That's the next one. Ah. So the interesting thing is the Bulldogs come in. Piper and Orton do not back off. They like, they attack the Bulldogs and immediately throw, you know, like, let's say, Dynamite out of the ring, and it's actually a two-on-one on, on Davy Boy. Are we talking about the same I match? Think we probably are. <laughs> okay. Do you want to describe this part? Well, um, we can clip some of this. Well, stuff. just I mean, just you know, like I. I'm sorry, on the I, list I have it's me, but it must. Have well, I want. I've been. It's okay. I wanted to watch it then, yeah, I yeah, guess, yeah. or something. I don't know, but uh, regardless of us. <laughs> A little bit of housekeeping <laughs> seems like we both watch the same match and we're waiting to report on it, but it seems like <laughs> it's the same match yep. because I did see the match. If if there's only one where the Bulldogs I, come in. I only saw one, yeah. In the other cases, we're going to see Orndorff team with the other character that's involved. Uh, we'll get to it. Yeah. But uh, this seemed to tease that we were going to see the Bulldogs team with Orndorff, which we didn't, and is the disappointing part. But yeah, indeed, getting back to like describing it, I had a feeling when the Bulldogs came in to break up the two-on-one that it was going to be this awful Piper and Orton clobber the Bulldogs and discard them like trash and i'm like no you can't do that to my bulldogs <laughs> that's right because that, that'll happen sometimes but that's what happens to jobbers who try to come in and break up brawls is they get beaten up and discarded and thrown <laughs> out of the ring so that the heel can continue his stomping of the baby face but um the bulldogs look like they're gonna be thrown away but no so i, I here's how we can figure it out one of the Bulldogs has still got his T-shirt on. That's right. Yes. Okay, we were talking. Yeah. We we're definitely talking about the same match. So I was worried that they were going to lose face, and I didn't want Bulldogs to do that. So as you say, a little bit of a fight breaks out between Piper and Orton and the British Bulldogs, and you start to imagine, oh, what could have been? It didn't lead to another match that I know of, alas. 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't look at the host show results. I mean, it's possible there's some kind of six-man tag match down the road, you know, somewhere else. But it's it's unlikely. They just they came out and like yeah, like I said, they just they didn't they didn't they didn't want to be you know deterred. So like even though Piper Norton you know discard them initially, they just keep coming and coming and coming, and eventually Orndorff's back up on his feet like rah, like yeah, you know, crimson mask. And, there you know, we go. That was the image. Yeah, yeah. And they have to do um, then the Bulldogs have to play sort of uh, we're helping you and. Con- Calm down, yeah, and exactly. you're injured, and you're in no yeah. shape to take them on, and you know the whole kind of like holding, holding them back, you know, for his own good. It was interesting. I was watching Dynamite Kid and Paul Orndorff stand beside each other, and I was like, Dynamite looks bigger. Like his arms and chest and shoulders, like you know, as big as Paul Orndorff is, is like Dynamite Kid looked bigger. Well, he sure did um, have a lot of changes to his body over the years. Yeah, for sure. And uh, he. This this may be the um, the golden age for steroids, which was uh, you know for better or for worse, it uh, led to some really cool looking physiques, but it maybe took too high a price on the wrestlers. That's right. So at the end here, uh, basically Fink announced that on August tenth, the main event is Piper and Ace Orton versus Orndorff and a partner of his choosing. So they leave this like cliffhanger. Well, at that point, you're thinking which bulldog? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> The next piece sets up that main event they talked about. So we have another or- another Orndorf match, and it's against a jobber. And what we see here is July 30th, uh, Orndorf is in a match with A.J. Petruzzi. Um, he looked very familiar. I've seen him before. And he it's funny. He gets on the mic, and he starts telling the crowd how he's going to collect the $25,000 bounty on Paul Orndorf. <laughs> I didn't see that. So that made me like this guy a little bit better. But Trusy, you know? I think I saw something. He was fighting S.D. Jones, and uh, I'd never heard of Petruzzi. And, uh, you know, unrelated viewing, I, I thought, <laughs> oh, here's somebody that S.D. can beat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was in Philly. I noted that S.D. Jones is from Philly. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was like, okay, good, because poor S.D. got squashed at WrestleMania. Quite a few times, yeah. Yeah, or, uh, over and over, but famously yeah. at WrestleMania. Yeah. So he was somebody. And the, the other thing about him was they made... A toy, you know, he was included. Right. He was in the LGN line, <laughs> exactly, which gave him a certain amount of status. So you always wanted to see him have something to, you exactly. know, Let to uh, be proud of. And um, I didn't, I don't know that I actually ended up watching the match because you know we're we're reviewing a lot of footage to to yeah. make these podcasts yeah. here. So I did have a glimmer of hope. I was like, SD, yes, I hope you get your hand raised in your hometown. <laughs> and right. then he was wrestling some guy in kind of a sheepskin vest or something. This, and it sounded like this guy that you're talking about. Orndorff. What was that name? Uh, AJ Petruzzi. Okay, so he gets on the mic and starts yeah, jabbing. So he starts saying how he's going to collect the bounty. So Orndorff makes his entrance. The match is going as expected. Orndorff's taking it to him. But while the match is going on, there's a disturbance in the crowd, and you realize that Piper and Orton have come to ringside, and they've kind of surrounded the ring. They're on either side, and they're starting to make, like, intimations that they're going to, like, come into the ring. Like, Piper starts putting his hand on the rope, and, like, he's starting to pull himself up, and then Orndorff kind of pays attention to him, so he steps back down and kind of backs off, but then Orton starts trying to sneak in, so, and the, the commentators are all like, they got to get these guys out of here, and it's all kind of happening. So Orndorff at one point gets frustrated with this, so he just takes the jobber and just throws him out of the ring at Piper. <laughs> so nice. Then, Piper picks him up and throws the jobber back in. Fastball special. That's right. <laughs> For you X-Men fans out there, when Colossus would throw Wolverine at the bad guys. That's right. So, at this point, Orton's I think Orton's really got Orndorff's attention, and Piper has now gone to the complete opposite side, 
and is really starting to get up on the apron. But there's an even bigger commotion in the crowd. And they finally realize, and the, the camera pans over. Pardon me, it's the reverse. It's, it's Orton is the one that's kind of, you know, is off on his own. And you realize the camera works pretty good on this. Andre the Giant is standing beside Cowboy Bob Orton, and he doesn't realize he's there. <laughs> it's really good camera work. And then you see Piper point at him like, like shocked, like he saw a ghost. They hit the bricks. They, they want nothing to do with Andre. So they leave. Andre's in street clothes. Orndorff's actually able to finish the match, pile drive, and pin his opponent. And then have a little Wait a minute. He beats... Petruzzi? Petruzzi? <laughs> no, Petruzzi no, made a promise. No bounty collected. Oh, <laughs> I believed him. He lied. So yeah, there's a little bit of a get-together with uh, Orndorff and Andre at the end, and you know that's going to lead to another match we're going to see. Okay, so this brings us back to the August 10th return match, Madison Square Gardens, and that gives us this tag match where Paul Orndorff has now selected Andre the Giant to be his you know mystery partner against like, Piper Norton. It's like both bulldogs. <laughs> that's right. Two and a half bulldogs. Yeah, well, Andre the Giant, always a very useful component for any booking. Yeah, so uh, we see the match, and it's it's really quite funny. Jeff, tell us about it. Okay, well, Andre, for all his size and strength, seems to be fixated on choking people, <laughs> you know? And uh, I almost wonder why he doesn't use the sleeper as his finisher. Like, uh, we'll see later on how he uh, chokes Bundy, but in the meantime, he's going to choke Cowboy Bob Orton. He's fixated on the cast because Cowboy Bob Orton... Ace has really been hitting everybody with his cast, you know, the plaster, the foreign object, if you will, that is permanently attached to his arm. There are comments like, how long has he been healing from that injury? Yeah, he's had that cast six months. <laughs> yeah, but it's pretty cool because it really helps the bad guys have a way of getting the edge, you know, yeah. and they use it over and over again to... Uh, turn the tables and help with the booking of a match back and forth. Anyway, so Andre goes right away after Cowboy Bob Orton's cast. And one sort of strange thing, in theory, there's this rigid plaster, hard cast, you know, tough as a brick. And for some reason, Cowboy Bob seems to have taped the outside of the cast. (laughs) Like there's athletic tape wrapped around this, you know, concrete uh, forearm protector. Anyway, so... He's unwrapping some athletic tape and uses it to choke Cowboy Bob Orton, and uh, the crowd's loving it. There's just so much cheating going on from the good guys that, uh, (laughs) you know, we almost pined for Jesse to be there to call him out. What is this, McMahon, you know? The opening sequence was really hilarious. Of everything I've watched for this episode, this match was the one that had the most, like, joy. Like, it was just so much good, like, comedy. Like, the way they were just pinballing around for Orndorff and uh, Andre is really funny. (laughs) <laughs> they're just like Piper is just flying around just like falling every time he gets hit and uh, I, I might be getting it out of order but there's an amazing moment where Orndorff takes Cowboy Bob Barton's arm and uses it like a weapon <laughs> and Piper's yeah. already dazed in the corner <laughs> and like Orndorff comes over with two hands holding Orton's one casted arm and then whacks Piper with it like it's a baseball bat. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, really enjoyable match. And also <laughs> seeing it for the first time is just, you know, a, uh, a special thrill. Yeah, I mean, Andre was smashing or Orton's forearm across the metal oh, fastening. Yeah. That's before he started working on it, like yeah. trying to pull it apart. Across the metal fastening where yeah. the ring post connects to the turnbuckle. And this is like solid gear hardware like it looks really uh savage you know (laughs) that's uh, really vicious yeah i know this he's trying to smash that forearm all over again and actually it's funny because at one point uh andre is so intent on 
removing this cast. The other thing is that they they allege that it's not only a rigid porcelain cast. Well, I guess not porcelain, but anyway, plaster, plaster. cast. But they say it's loaded. That's like right. He always, he always gets his fingers in there to adjust something. Yeah, like there's a lead bar in there yeah, somewhere. Right. And uh, so Andre, <laughs> ostensibly, he's looking to get to the bottom of the cast. Right. He's trying to find out what is in there anyway. <laughs> a roll of quarters or a piece of lead. But what's really funny is at one point, it looks like Andre... He's signing his best friend's cast, you know, <laughs> right. like, Dear Cowboy Bob, get well soon. <laughs> Your pal, Andre. <laughs> he's, he's got him in what almost looks like a Gamora. I'm just oh, like, Oh, yeah, there's that too. It, it absolutely looks like a Gamora. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so there's a big schmoz at one point. Uh, the ref seems to lose control. And uh, Andre's doing the butt bash in the corner on Orton, and I took my eyes off that corner, and I kind of missed it. Jeff saw it better than I did, but... I was listening to Monsoon. Monsoon yeah. said, Orton, raise the knee there. Andre crashing into it. So suddenly Andre's on his knees because... Yeah, well, on his back, actually. Yeah, he falls well, all the yeah. way to the ground, yeah. Yeah, well... Uh... Yeah, maybe it's a two-part fall. Andre takes yeah. his time. He, yeah, right. he, he makes his eventually. way to the mat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he just have a couple beers. Yeah. On his, you know, while he's on his knees, and then get down to the mat. Anyway, so looks like Cowboy Bob's got the baby faces at his mercy. So Cowboy Bob is going to jump off the second turnbuckle to clobber. Andre, but Andre sees him coming and he raises his leg and Orton's jaw, boom, lands on the flush <laughs> right yeah. of Andre's boot and Orton's out like a light. His back hits the canvas. And yeah, it, it, just at that same time, Orndorff had actually like back body dropped Piper out of the ring as they were fighting. So he sees, you know, uh, Orton basically spin, you know, like a corkscrew after he gets hit in the face and falls down in the middle of the ring and he just kind of just dives on him he just like jumps on him and no more moves or anything and just one two three the pin fantastic booking the crowd is on fire uh this was really fun to watch lots of good laughs yeah piper's just incredible i actually do wish that we'd gotten to see more piper versus hogan which you know was the promise made but never kept uh, <laughs> i mean you know wrestlemania they've already got tag team partners and yeah it was really only at uh would it be the brawl um for it all. More, to set, more to settle the score. Is and, where, oh, right, of course. And the, wrestling this, classic. And wrestling classic. And okay. lots of house shows, but mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and probably some MSG and some some Prism matches right. that, you know, but like as far as like big national audiences, only a couple times. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe it's just my memory, but watching this now, I'm like, wow, Piper is better here than I remember him, you know, as yeah. we go on to watch through 87, 88, and even, you know, until the early no, he's, 90s. He's gone, he's gone in 88. So, like, he right. leaves in 80, he retires in 87, right. quote unquote, and then he comes back in 89. Right. So, yeah. This is the best Piper. It's so good. Yeah, for sure. So there is a uh, speaking of Piper, there there's there's a Piper's pit segment after this. But part of television in this day and age, and the house show circuit and all that stuff, is they're not always a hundred percent connected. So um, sometimes I notice things where something will happen. We'll see it on a house show or on one of these matches, and then something afterwards won't necessarily always you know reference back to it. It's almost like they're not a hundred percent connected. Not everybody sees everything. Not everybody's sort of aware of all these different components and matches and and you know interviews and stuff like that. So I it's object there's a certain X Men comic which will show you the watcher <laughs> sees everything. <laughs> he sees all. That's right. Big bald guy with pointy blue collar and a cape and lives on the moon. <laughs> okay, so the week later, August seventeenth, it's a Piper's pit with Andre the Giant. Well, he's supposed to be there. That's right. 
but it's Roddy Piper with his bodyguard in the background, and I believe he's got the LGN figure of Andre with the longer hair, and uh, there's a magazine too, and Piper's saying, oh yeah, well, Andre, he's got any guts or so up, and he starts ripping up the magazine <laughs> pictures of Andre, and just, uh, uh, it's, Orton's keeping a lookout for Andre, and then it's almost like, fee far fo fum Orton looks around the corner, and he's like, oh shit, here he comes, and then uh, Piper's like, oh, and they're all freaking out, and uh and when Andre shows up, it's like, oh, this was here when I got here. I, uh, I, I didn't do that. That wasn't me. The ripped up pictures of Andre. And he's like, oh, yeah. Actually, what I love about this one, he was like, oh, yeah, you got your doll here. And Andre grabs it from him. And Piper says, that's my doll. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really good. And so, yeah, uh, Piper changes his tune, starts kissing ass when Andre actually shows up. Because this is one situation where usually uh, Piper and his bodyguard intimidate and threaten you know, the tension is they're going to double team whoever the guest is, but that's no problem for Andre. He ends <laughs> up, you know, um, there's a T-shirt, some of the merch for Andre. I didn't really ever see it before, actually. It didn't look familiar to me. The Hulkamania T-shirt's very familiar, of course, but yeah. this Andre the Giant shirt, finally Piper recovers his nerves and he blows his nose on the shirt and runs for the hills. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> throws on, it at him, yeah. Yeah, throws it at him. <laughs> and the, they hit the bricks. That's right. That's and Andre awesome. chases them off. Yeah. And that's the end of that segment. Really good. One of the things related to the Andre feuds of the summer was in August 18th. It was a big event. It was in Toronto. And I remember really clearly back from the day watching TV, seeing the highlights of it. And it's a match between Andre the Giant and Big John Studd. But another giant gets involved, King Kong Bundy. We knew him as Boom Boom Bundy <laughs> in the AWA, um, but he, like so many other big talents, ha, 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 came over to the WWF. Yeah. So there was an episode we did that was a sneak attack special in our bonus episodes, which will be released sometime in the future. And we did talk about this because this was kind of one of these great sneak attacks. So Andre's about to cut John Studd's hair. By the way, I was just going to say that my first look at him was at a card live. I, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, Boom Boom Bundy was teaming with uh, Jerry Crusher Blackwell in a big uh, tag team battle royal right. in, in Winnipeg. And um, I cheered for Boom Boom because he, he was a face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And out. I'm really reaching it, but I'm really reaching now, but it's possible he had the Bruno Sammartino hair, like a big curly afro. <laughs> but now I'm really reaching. Right. Yeah, so, so there's In other words, yeah, I guess the real point is that he didn't make any appearances on TV. So it was kind of one of these wrestlers, you know, it was a rare case of the like... AWA and just kind of... Yeah, you know. uh, have no idea who he was. Suddenly, he's in the main event, and he's, you know, but he's so big, obviously, yeah. that uh, it, it, it wasn't at all confusing. Just that it was very uncharacteristic for somebody to just step into a main event kind of role without even one promo or anything on television. Right, right. This footage I've seen the end of this segment several times going back to my fan days is because, you know, there's a ramp in Toronto. So the Maple Leaf Gardens would have a, an actual ramp, kind of like the WCW ramp, right to the ring. And the camera showing is Andre's getting ready to cut John Studd's hair, kind of retribution for what Ken Patera and John Studd had done to Andre to cut his hair. And all of a sudden, but boom, boom, pardon me, not boom, boom, King Kong Bundy comes up the stage. Like he walks up the steps kind of almost into the camera frame. And all of a sudden there's this big man, this, you know, lumbering condominium, so to speak, moving towards the ring. And they they double team him. He, Andre initially, you know, 
is taken out Bundy, but Stud then dives at Andre's legs, and they get him down on the ground, and then they do multiple, I think four or five splashes on Andre, and there's a kayfabe sternum injury, which takes Andre out of action for a while. I gotta say, I cannot think of any other point where this much human meat is in the ring, (laughs) you know, three hearts and 2,000 pounds of It's a a lot of stuff. It's a lot of weight. Yeah. Reinforcing the ring for this one. But this action here is going to lead to a match we'll talk about in a bit. And also, of course, the Saturday Night Event match, the tag team match. This is all sort of like an ongoing feud between Andre and other big men. And we know he didn't like other big men. Yeah, he had a problem with big John Studd calling himself a giant. Didn't want, he also didn't like the way that John Studd went into the ring. Yeah, stepping over the top rope. He also didn't, he told on John Studd to stop calling him Andrea backstage, and he didn't. He kept saying in interviews, and apparently that was another reason that Andre was quite mad at him and would take it out on John Studd in the ring for real. Yeah, you almost think that Stud would be able to hold his own, you know, like, but I guess Andre did have a freakish strength with his size. Yeah, once he got his hands on you and could just put his weight on you, I don't, I think he could do whatever he wanted. The list of people who slammed Andre is longer than you think. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it's huge, I, it's yeah. massive. Oh, man, I, uh, I think Howard Finkel got in there one That's time. Right. I've seen, I've never seen it, of course, but uh, there was a Joe Rogan interview of Jake the Snake Roberts many years ago, and uh, he says that, like, on a house card, Andre said to him, slam me. <laughs> Jake the Snake slammed him. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. <laughs> he let every, if he liked you, he let, he let you do it. Ah. <laughs> Look at this. He's going to try to cut his hair. This is despicable. King Kong Bundy. This is despicable. Bundy. King Kong Bundy, Pearl Harvard, Andre from behind. Okay, I just want to bring up a result I came across. There's no footage, but it's just a neat little side note in history. So Jesse Ventura is still actively wrestling, you know, in 85. And there was a program that was being set up to put Jesse against Hogan, you know, in a, in a big way, like some sort of high-focused, you know, match. And, of course, things happen where Jesse has to step away from wrestling because of some injuries. But before that happens, there are some matches. And I found on September 13th, Jesse Ventura beat Hulk Hogan by DQ. Uh, I love it. A smirch <laughs> on the record of Hulkamania. <laughs> One of the few. That puts him in the lofty echelon inhabited by Leaping Lanny Poffo. That's right. Yeah. I mean, that hasn't happened yet, but we know yeah. not everybody can beat Hogan. Ventura, Lanny Poffo, Ultimate Warrior. He, he gives up some ho-show, you know, countouts and DQs for sure, but it, it is pretty rare. The, you know, they, they had really built up at one point where, like, Jesse was, like, the last... If Jesse was able to wrestle, he seemed to be, like, the biggest thing left for Hogan to wrestle at one point. After every WrestleMania, Jesse would always declare, I'm going to have to come out of retirement, you know, to, like, to take out Hogan because nobody can. Like and, r- like Running Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no footage, but we've certainly seen footage in AWA. They wrestled a lot. That was one of those things where it would have been, like, the match in the ring probably wouldn't have been that great, wouldn't have been that pretty. But the the lead up to it, the 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 sort of the the spectacle of it all, like that's what it would have been, like you know. Did they have arm wrestling matches in the AWA? Oh, definitely AWA. There's definitely arm wrestling matches, and even one for sure. I know where you know uh, Jesse breaks the or hits hits Hogan with the arm wrestling table, and like as he's about to lose the arm wrestling match, he he sneak attacks Hogan and does all that stuff. So yeah, there's they definitely have a history, but in the WAF we never really got it. There was just a couple of house show matches, which basically nobody got to see. So a lost little nugget of history in the WWF. Well, you know what, Monsoon? I may have to come out of retirement and win this title. Oh, boy, I'd I pay to see that, Jess.
So there's something really neat that happens at the end of the summer. Uh, Jesse Ventura brings it up on a show. I was unable to find any of the clips for this, so I uh, just have to talk it through. You know, And that's a trade. It's kind of like real sports here. So managers make trades. It's kind of this un, you know, for sort of lost art of wrestling. And um, so Bobby the Brain Heenan trades Adrian Adonis and the missing link to Jimmy Hart for King Kong Bundy. Well, I definitely have a lot of memories of Bundy with Heenan, not so much with Hart, except for us reviewing now what happened in the past. Yeah. Yeah, so it's neat. I do remember this trade being brought up at the time. I didn't really put it together. I actually, last night in watching things, came across a Madison Square Garden match of Heenan with Adonis. And so Adonis is, you know, in a match, and he's beaten up on his opponent, and, uh, you know, Heenan's out at ringside and stuff like that. So that was kind of my only you know, my only chance I really ever kind of got to see Heenan and Adonis together. So it kind of never made sense when I would hear about this trade. I'd be like, missing link. Or Adonis didn't really ring a bell as far as, like, I knew them, but not with, not with Heenan. So the context of that is that this next segment is a Piper's Pit with the Heenan family. So the, the new Heenan family minus Ken Patera. So... You come onto the set, you've got Piper in the middle, Orton behind him. He's got, uh, so I guess actually it's kind of like, it's kind of like Piper and Heenan are kind of centered. And then on either side of them is the Giants, there's King Kong Bundy and and Big John Stud. And they're sitting down there and uh, there's this giant case on a table in front of Heenan. And Piper basically announces Stud and Bundy is the greatest tag team of all time. He congratulates them on being so awesome and they stand up and it's quite the love fest and the total opposite of what normally happens at a Piper's Pit where he picks at people and, you know, insults them and stuff like that. And so Bobby announces that they're a combined 810 pounds and also that he's increased the bounty on Paul, Mr. Wonderful Orndorff from twenty five to $50,000. There's a lot of map going on in uh, this section of Piper's That's Pit. That's right, yeah. You need a calculator. And he says it twice because Heenan's really specific on this. I don't want him knocked out. I want him put out. <laughs> yes, thrown over the top rope just once. That's all you need to do. Make 25, oop, 50 grand. It was really funny. Piper's like, oh, can, I, can I see the money? Can I see the money? And they open the case, and Piper leans right in, and the camera gets in real close, and he's like, <sighs> and, he, <laughs> and he's like, no, mama, he says, or something like that. It's really, it's really funny. <laughs> and then he goes, he smooches, he smooches the money. <laughs> and then he tells Heenan, not only are you a genius manager of the year, you're a box of fluffy ducks. <laughs> Just like, and that's how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> fluffy ducks. That's right. <laughs> genius. Okay. Uh, so that brings us to August 24th, where something really important happens. And we have a match between the Dream Team, the newly minted Greg Valentine and Beefcake versus the U.S. Express. Well, this would be a clip that gets played a lot as you were watching TV. We're talking about the title change because I didn't actually watch the match uh, itself recently. I just have all these memories of yeah. Johnny V handing a cigar, a lit cigar, to Brutus Beefcake. Beefcake raking it across Wyndham's eyes and that excruciating pain putting Wyndham out and allowing Valentine to make the cover so that the... Dream Team could take the belts off of the U.S. Express, Barry Windham, and Mike Rotundo. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was unable to find the full match. I never have. I know that this clip, this three minutes and some seconds of the match, including just the end, it was on the 
Coliseum release of the history of the Tag Team Championship. And that's, of course, how I saw that. Plus, you know, when they would show replays occasionally on TV. But looking back now, it's like, you know, it seems, I mean, obviously they have the footage, but uh, it doesn't seem like it's on any of the, nobody's posted it. It's not on WWE Network as far as I can find. So it's, um yeah, it's a bit of a lost match. But yeah, it was always funny, this idea, this idea of this, like, yeah, the, the cigar, the cigar stuffed into Barry Windham's eye. And I know they would follow this up with things like segments with like Windham going to like trips to like the doctor's office to see if his eye was going to be okay and things like that. And, you know, it makes me think that like, they didn't know they were leaving yet. I almost kind of thought that maybe the t- title change was maybe in line with the idea that like they were like, hey, you know, Barry's taken off, so let's get the titles off of them. But uh, it doesn't seem like it. It seems like they were there a little bit longer than, you know, when the title change happened. All too soon, Barry Windham takes off, and it's a pity because he is an awesome top-level talent. Thankfully, the best is yet to come for our man, Barry Windham. That's right. I'm not so sure about Mike Rotundo, but they <laughs> both have successful careers uh, yeah. terrific careers. I think that Wyndham himself, you know, could have gone even further. And well, we know that it's documented that there were bigger plans than uh, worked out for Barry Wyndham, which was too bad because in a few years, he's going to be as, as good as wrestling gets. The look, the moves, the attitude, like he is a superstar. Look out, look at Dollar. Luscious John just handed something. Louis Alberto coming up now. But look at that, some kind of a foreign object. He ran right across his eyes. Handed Brutus Beefcake and he Brutus used it. Pain. I'm very window. He's blinded. Another interesting thing from the uh, with the Greg Valentine shoot interview I saw was he explained how they came up to him the night that he found out he was losing the title to Tito, like losing it back. And, you know, how he obviously was disappointed. But in the same breath, the person telling him this, the agent, the handler, whatever, said, don't worry, you're going to be a tag champ. <laughs> like, they told him as he's losing the Intercontinental title, you're going to be the tag team champion with, with Beefcake. And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know, it's a... Uh... This is peak Valentine oh, era. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think NWA is peak Valentine, but this is this is this is the peak of WWF Valentine. Well, I suppose so. Uh, they were probably about equal. I think we're talking about some U.S. belt exchanges then. In the, yeah, well, him and Flair were tag champions, and uh, so, you know, his in his in just his dog collar match with Piper, where it was really high profile at Starcade, yeah. and yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, well, I broke Wahoo's leg, all that, all that kind of stuff. You right. Know? Okay, so that stuff I only know of mainly from the magazines. Right. Uh, but it sounds almost identical to yeah. This WWF uh, run, or the you know several years, or whatever it is. I mean, yep. hot feud with Tito, tag run, and uh, secondary belt run, which is what you just said happened. Told me happened to him before he came to the WWF. Tag yeah. belts, secondary belts, and super hot feud. So everything but the dog collar, <laughs> you know. The so Valentine a bit underrated, really, you know, because he. Um, had all the it almost basically these things would make you think that he's going to be a world champion because yeah flair had uh the tag belts with steamboat at one point well uh, that might have been maybe a territory but anyway you know all the greats except for hogan hogan really didn't do much tag team championship yeah i've never bothered to look at what kind of regional titles he may have held before his really made his mark he seemed like he was always in these big marquee matchups as you know, the, the the early days of Hulk, you know, pre Hulk Hogan, like as far as like you know the different names he used and stuff like that. But right. Yeah. That's about the only thing worth mentioning would be that uh, Ed Leslie, his real life friend who became Brutus Beefcake. They uh, early days they were supposed to be brothers. Yeah. In kayfabe, and uh, I think Brutus Beefcake was dizzy, and <laughs> he um, 
Dizzy Boulder, perhaps. And he had long, blonde, flowing hair. And there's a terrible promo out there of this (laughs) version of Beefcake. But, yeah. I think I read that it was uh, Hogan's wife. Uh, Linda that came up with the uh, beefcake is the suggested name for him. Like, you know, like she was the one who kind of recommended that name. Well, I guess we should say that this is also, well, no, beefcake goes on to a lot more popularity in the uh, in the future. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so s- supposedly from that same date, although I'm not sure if it's the same card, there's a prism event. That, that means uh, Philadelphia Spectrum Wrestling. And it our is new hero, Cal <laughs> Rudman. Cal Rudman. Yeah, let's take let's take a little break there. I, I looked up some information about Cal Rudman, and I, I want to make overemphasize the Rudman because we have often been saying Redmond, uh, and we love this guy, and we want to make sure we get it right. So I did look into his a uh, little bit into his life, not too much, but so this guy was born in 1930. Okay, and he lived until 2021. He made it to wow. 91 years old. And I, I looked and saw that his wife passed away three days after he did. So this like Aww. this lifelong couple, you know, they were married young and together their whole life. And they, you know, went out together. And uh, so he is, fortunately, I was worried that he was going to disappear on us like, you know, like right away. We just like found him. Classy Freddie Blassie. That's right. But he's in it till 1989. <laughs> so we've, we've got a few years left here oh, from Cal, uh, Cal Rudman. So Hidden from, gold, this guy. Yeah. We only just so briefly touched on him in the first episode, and, and but in our bonus content, we came across some pretty juicy stuff. So we love any time we see that there's cards from there Prism TV, Spectrum Wrestling, because there's a very, very good chance that Cal Rudman is going to be the one doing the interviews, and he's hilarious. Yes. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. <laughs> That's right. I feel, you know, the people out if you're from Philly or you had that access to that television, man, I'm jealous. Because I was like, not only did you have all this extra content on top of the syndicated TV, you got all these, you know, great shows, but you got Cal, you got Killer Cal. Right. Well, if you were in an apartment in New York City, you couldn't just turn on MSG Network. You still had to have some satellite or something or yeah, cable. I don't exactly. really know how it worked, but yeah. it was, it did have some exposure. It wasn't just New York that had MSG. I think there was local bars and there stuff. Was some, there were some too. different areas that had it. I guess if you had the, and it, once you get to the certain age of the satellite dish, the big satellite dish, you know, that our, our friend's dad had, um, you know, then you could start getting stuff from anywhere. But I'm sure there was a time before that really became a thing that, you know, you were sort of limited. Hey, where you live is what dictates what you're going to have access to and what's coming on your TV. And that, you know, obviously affects how you become a wrestling fan and what you what you know and what you care about and what you think is important. It's a home of Rocky Balboa. That's right. Right? Home movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so this PRISM event has yet another Piper Orton match. But the important thing here is that the living legend Bruno Sammartino is the referee. Correct. And uh, your earlier descriptions of the street fight and, you know, a lot of the moves. Well, now that we're having such a close look, we can see that there are angles, you know, that get replayed. I mean, you've got to when you're working night after night after night. That's right. So without describing too much the actual match itself. Because it's, it is similar in a way that the, the brawling and the, yeah. the eye gouging. Piper's always going to the eye gouging. That's how he gets his advantage. And then he then he starts putting the boots to him. But well, the audience is so hot because Orndorff is really playing like I've got uh, an axe to grind and he's just furious get down to business and there's some actually pretty funny pre-match shenanigans there's like Orndorff insists that Bruno checks Piper and then after he's done that Piper insists that Bruno checks uh, Orndorff and Bruno San Martino insists that Cowboy Ace Bob Orton goes back to the dressing room before the match starts there you go 
all these angles play out before the bells even run. That's right. Yeah, so there's some pretty funny things. But Bruno is incredibly physical in this match, and it's kind of a one-sided thing. He seems to only really be doing it to Piper. <laughs> That's true, because he doesn't actually want people punching with a closed fist. Yeah. But somehow, it's Piper's punches that he catches and prevents from landing, <laughs> yes. which will give Orndorff an opportunity to throw some punches. There, there's an incredible moment where Piper's, you know, got got Orndorff in the corner and he's giving it to him and he goes to swing and like Bruno literally like uses both of his arms to like hook, you know, catch, you know, like Piper's arm and stop him from throwing the punch. And then Orndorff starts firing off like right hands and Bruno doesn't do a thing about it. <laughs> it's pretty good. They end up outside the ring and there's that, in that age, the, the table often would be right up against the ring. So there's actually a part where I think like one of them lands on the bell and you hear go ding. <laughs> That's true. It has a very awkward feel to it. Where yeah. There's basically uh, that that stops and they never go back to that in That's short right. order. Yeah. In a few years, you won't see anything. Yeah. I mean, literally it, you know, abutting the, 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 the table, literally abutting the ring. Yeah. Is uh, dangerous for everybody. That's right. <laughs> so Piper's on the outside. He uses the drink. He like smashes Orndorff in the face. He with grabs the somebody's drink. coffee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> He's ever the improviser, Roddy Piper. And then he decides he kind of just... My latte! He kind of just, you know, gives up on the match in a way. He just picks up a chair and just walks into the ring. And Bruno sees him coming. So Bruno lunges in the way and takes the chair shot. He yeah. hits Bruno with the chair. That's right. He takes the bullet for the downed <laughs> Orndorff. It's a little bit awkward, but yeah. uh, anyway, it, it serves the purpose, which of course is to uh, build up ticket sales for next month, Yeah. You see. So now that he's knocked down Bruno, Orndorff, that's when he fires up and he gives it to Piper and he, he takes him out and he sets him up for the uh, pile driver. But once again, Ace Bob Orton now is back out from the backstage. He's come back out into the ringside and he nails Orndorff with the cast again. And they're, you know, they're putting they're putting the boots to everybody. And then Bruno gets up <laughs> and starts fighting and then Orndorff back up and, you know, it kind of ends in a big schmoz. And you find out that's a DQ and that Orndorff's won. But they go to this backstage interview with Gorilla Monsoon. Unfortunately, we don't get Cal. We're backstage at Prism and there's no Cal. I don't know what happened. He must have been sick or something. Were we done with all the Cal Redman details? I guess we we moved on. So that was all. Oh, yeah. We're not done with him as far as like, you know. No, I just mean to say like I was, I thought, did we know if he came from any other sports? He did other, um, like a news announcing and things like that. I'd have to go back and look at the page for some more of the details. But yeah. He he was was a broadcaster. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We we just love, he, uh, about him though he he's very charming because he seems to love his job so much that almost he can't hide the smile even when he's talking to the <laughs> heels he's just like into it so much that yeah. we watched one where Hulk Hogan can't keep a straight face even when he's like <laughs> insulting Rudman. Rudman's just sitting there smiling, lapping up this, you know, abuse. And That's can't right. wait. And, and uh, Hogan's having a hard time keeping a straight face yeah. too. Yeah, he's chuckling uh, chuckling as he's putting down Rudman. And it's, it's, it's great because especially sometimes like you've got Cal smiling, grinning from ear to ear when he's talking to the heel. And then you'll cut to Cal again with his tough look. Yeah, he, that's right. Now yeah. he looks like a dog you just he's took stern. away his bone. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you get a couple backstage interviews setting up the match and P- piper and orton find out that they're gonna have to have this match and <laughs> against bruno and yeah. orndorff i love what piper says to bruno he says I-, I thought you were some kind of man just but i found out you're just an average piece of garbage <laughs> so good so that's gonna set up a return match which is really the way the house circuit would work right they would have these matches and then you try to have a return. What's the reason somebody's going to come back? I and mean, we spoke about that last time with the double Piper Flair, you know, 91, 92, the return, you know, and that's what it was. They set it up and then they let you know that night 
after the match had happened, hey, we're going to be back, you know, X amount of months and, you know, going to be another, you know, rematch of this big match that you just loved. So it was the business model of like how to keep people coming back. Well, they would actually say tickets are on sale, you know, sometimes during yeah, occasionally, that. Yeah. yeah. So you could probably get your ringside seats if you made a beeline right to the ticket and booth that's right then. What, that's what Ken and I did for the third in a row of those matches. So the, the night that Piper held up both sets of belts, well, at the halftime, we were watching, it was the Beverly Brothers versus the New Foundation, and that's Owen Hart and Jim Neidhart, and they announced tickets were going on sale, and Ken and I bailed. We, we missed the last couple minutes of the tag match, and sure enough, we got fr- front row seats. That's the only time I've ever had front row seats to wrestling was, you know, because we ran out of our seats and missed part of a match and went over there, you know, forget about those Beverly Brothers, I want front row. Now that was the second flare. That's right, yeah. And so what did you, what what did you, the, the third card then, what was ahead? It was supposed to be Jake the Snake Roberts versus Macho Man Randy Savage. Okay, so I was there for that Yes, one. you were there, yeah. yeah. And and Jake doesn't show up, so they have Sid Justice, mm-hmm. you know. Right, right, right. And Flair and Piper weren't on that card? No. They were on the previous two cards. Yeah. Wow, sounds like we really had a run of them. Yeah, we had three cards in about eight months or something, which it, often they would only come to Winnipeg once a year, and it, there was a couple times where they, you know, it was like 15 months or 18 months, you know, there were long stretches, but for whatever reason, we got three cards, like, pretty in pretty short order, and I went to all of them. Because, Dad, you think we're going to have any kind of respect for you after what you did? I thought you were some kind of man, and then I really realized, after what I saw there, you were really nothing but just your average piece of garbage, but I've seen that before in Philadelphia. Okay, so in September 23rd, I believe it's at Madison Square Gardens, there was a really big match in Andre's career, the Colossal Jostle, <laughs> and that's King Kong Bundy versus Andre the Giant. Sounds pretty good. Uh, hopefully, it's not a big choke fest. I mean, literally <laughs> choking, because uh, Andre loves that. <laughs> Get his hands around your neck, or anything around your neck. <laughs> he'll take a soda can. Well, okay, soda can, but... <laughs> Never mind that. Yeah, he'll he it was definitely uh you know, when they get in the ring, Andre definitely loves to choke people, but it was a lot different than I expected it to be. A it's a long match, it's almost twenty minutes. And you're kinda like, Whoa, how do they have a twenty minute match between these two? This doesn't really make much sense. One cool thing is that Monsoon and Jesse are on the call. So like a lot of these c- matches we're watching, we're getting one or the other, we're getting other people, but so it gave it a big time feel. Well, what a main event. Like You would think that this would be something that they'd spend a lot of time building, you know, yeah. Andre versus Bundy. So Bundy's in the ring, and at this point, he's still with Jimmy Hart as his manager, and uh, Andre's coming to the ring with his new manager, Captain Lou Albano. Captain Lou, boy, he's... Uh, <laughs> Gets he, everywhere. <laughs> he, he does a lot of work before he makes his hasty departure. That's right. <laughs> Vince Jr. apparently didn't like Captain Lou too much. Actually, I just listened to... Uh, a, a story, uh, Greg Valentine talking about Captain Lou would get really drunk at these weekly meetings that was mostly <laughs> the office guys and the managers and only yeah. a couple of wrestlers. But, yeah, he kept ribbing, yeah. you know, Vince Jr. Like, oh, we're all in trouble when this kid takes over. We're all out of a job. Yeah, he kind of made fun of, you know, he kind of picked on him a bit when, when Vince was working for the company as, you know, in, in his early days. And it kind of backfired on him as he, as Vince took over. Uh, so, <laughs> Jesse refers to, at one point during the match, Captain Lou is chasing Jimmy Hart on the outside on several occasions. And it's kind of funny because Jesse refers to Jimmy Hart, like, in one breath. He's like, oh, he's real tough chasing a 110-pound, you know, Jimmy Hart. And then, like, not even, like, a couple of seconds later, he's like, he's only 125 pounds. And I'm thinking, like, what did he eat in between to put on the 15 pounds? Nice. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's actually a really good match. Like, they, they're hitting each other really hard. And... Andre's like 
as we saw in another one of her matches, he's doing a lot of like um, he's grabbing wrist locks and then like pressuring Bundy backwards by like you know sort of overhead wrist lock and kind of holding him in place and then backing out and just slapping him hard. But the one thing I noticed is a few times that Bundy hits the ground is how quickly he can get up. Like we know how unbalanced Andre is at this point in his career. It's really difficult for Andre to get around the ring. He's trying not to get too far away from the ropes. You know, he wants to be able to have that ability to, like, give himself support. Whereas Bundy's, like, looking quite spry compared to, compared to Andre. So, yeah, he's really fast. But there's a really weird uh, position that ends up. They end up on the ground for a long stretch, and it's, like, kind of good storytelling. Andre gets, like, this arm bar, but he's, like, scissoring Bundy, like, with his legs. So he's got, like, his arm, you know, trapped, and he's got his legs basically around Bundy's, like, you know, chest and head going around. And then he's using his feet to prevent Bundy's other hand from reaching from the ropes to break the, the count. And that's, like, this long story in this match. It's several minutes of Andre holding this hold on the ground and Bundy struggling trying to get to the rope because it's, like, the only way he can get out of this hold is to is to break the, uh, you know, is to, is to get the rope. And actually it ends up, it ends up being that he rolls through the other way. Uh, Andre rolls him back into the middle of the ring, almost like you see some in modern day wrestling. They'll they'll do the, f- but he doesn't let go of the hold. Like he does a he does like a roll, and Bundy's arm still trapped. And at one point, Andre fell and with Bundy's arm, and I was like, oh boy, that could have went wrong. Like that could have you know he could have actually snapped Bundy's arm by accident, like you know just because he lost his balance there. But it's pretty neat. It's it's back and forth. But what they're really playing up is that Andre's come back too soon. So every time Bundy can get a shot towards his chest, his sternum, Andre really sells it hard that, like, he's really vulnerable and he's really, like, you know, he can't take these shots. But, of course, it's Andre, so, you know, he'll get his hand around Bundy's throat and <laughs> choke him back into the corner and smash him and all this stuff. So the end of the match is pretty neat. I have never really don't remember seeing this. So Andre went to give Bundy an Irish whip from corner to corner, and Bundy reverses it. <laughs> so there's Andre being Irish whipped into the corner, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, I don't think I've ever seen Andre take an Irish whip. Does he take a Bret Hart bump into the turnbuckles, or does he does he wind up with uh, you know so that he's got his back? Yeah, no, he turns into he turns he turns his he turns his back into the corner, and Bundy tries for the avalanche, but Andre gets this big boot up, and so he he gets the boot to the face, and Bundy takes this great spill, you know, great bump, and then Andre comes off the ropes. Walks around and does like the butt, you know, he does like the earthquake, you know, splash, you know, butt first on Bundy's head, pretty much. It doesn't, it doesn't look too, too, uh, too clean. And as he's rolling over to get the pin, in comes John Studd in street clothes, you know, throwing fists and, and attacking Andre. And uh, so it's a DQ, of course. And but and Andre immediately starts beating up Stud, and Stud's on the now on the outside of the apron. He's rolled out underneath the ropes as Andre's hitting him. So Andre's kind of chasing him into the corner with his you know facing outside, and that allows Bundy to come from behind and avalanche into the corner. And so they uh, they they try to set up the Toronto thing again. So Stud's got Andre's legs, and Bundy's getting ready to like come off the ropes and start giving him splashes again. But this time. Andre kicks his legs and kicks Stud off and rolls out of the ring just and gets out of there because he's you know he decides he's not going to fight these two guys by himself. He's wise to their tricks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he goes out and gets a chair, <laughs> and then he comes back in with the chair, and then Bundy and Stud take off. But I mean, all things considered, for like you know their you know the the limitations of their movement and stuff, a tw- uh, like a pretty entertaining twenty minute match out of Bundy and, and Andre. Right. Well, uh, Bundy definitely was so imposing that I was always interested when he was in a match because it just it, you wondered how are our heroes possibly going to deal with his, <laughs> all this humanity. 
got the news that Albano very seldom makes any derogatory remarks about you, Jess. Why are you Look at there, cutting uh, Albano's outside the ring again, chasing down Jimmy Hart. Big tough guy, 300-pound Albano going after 125-pound Hart. In the meantime, King Kong Bundy... So as the Piper and Orndorff feud continues... It goes to Philadelphia, home of our new favorite commentator, interview man, stick man on the mic, killer cow, <laughs> Rudman. And uh, wow, this guy is so great. Um, he seems to just support whoever he's talking to. Like he, <laughs> he like makes them all think that he's on their side. And, you know, right. in a blood feud, like both person goes away thinking, well, at least Cal's got my back. <laughs> and um, so he has his tough face that he puts on. He's like, I'm talking revenge. And he looks all <laughs> serious because he's got Bruno Sammartino there to interview. Interestingly, no Orndorff. But, I mean, this is how we met, actually. This is yeah, how yeah. we discovered Rudman was a great Orndorff interview. So oh, yeah. Rudman interviews San Martino. It's a pretty long interview, and um, it's okay. But yeah. uh, Bruno's, you know, not... Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Yeah. So he's, yeah, he's not really playing into Cal's setups. Yeah. Like yeah. Cal's giving him like juicy things and he's kind of just. Yeah. He was almost like, actually, we were going to, ha- we had a chance at history. He was like, who would you compare him to? And I was like, oh, San Martino has wrestled them all. Yeah. But he just keeps saying, I won't do that. <laughs> yeah. No, I won't compare them. But then he does go on to say, I've, you know, San Martino's shtick seems to be like, I fought bigger and tougher. And he, and he lists yeah. many of the bigger and tougher wrestlers. And he gets onto, though, some. Logical explanation of uh, physics and getting old, and he's like, you know, I took off forty pounds because you know, as you get older, and he, and he just yeah, goes yeah, on explains and, why he's two forty instead of two eighty now. <laughs> it's not exciting, but you know. Anyway, that's okay because a really good interview is coming up. Well, like, I do like when when San Martino starts calling at the end. He starts calling Piper like just garbage, and he's like, well, yeah, Redmond's kind of like, funny. well, you got to give Piper some credit, you know. He's got personality. <laughs> he's like, I don't give him, you. You think that? I don't think that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but we move on to Redman interviewing the heel team, both of them, <laughs> Cowboy Bob Orton and Roddy Piper. Well, he's um, it starts in with, well, the other thing I was going to say about, like, is Cal gets in close, you know? Right. This is almost <laughs> like a, a Tic Tac commercial, you know what I mean? Like, and uh, it's a real tight shot on the two guys, only just from, like, below the shoulders. And anyway, he's nestled in there. And uh, <laughs> the other thing I was, I guess, was that by the end of the interview, Cal just he can't keep the tough face. He's just yeah, too happy. Right. He loves his job too much, <laughs> he which is great. We love you know that's the best. But he loves his job so much that he can't stay tough. And uh, you know by the end of it, he's kind of grinning at Bruno and you know and like you're the greatest. You know <laughs> he loves everybody. So he interviews the heel team, and uh, you know again. Uh, Bob Orton's voice is awesome. Well, here, you know, we're going to do this. And That's right. He gets some shots in on San Martino. Um, oh, he says, uh, Orton says the stuff about the guys that San Martino is bringing up are so old that the people that know who they are have already died and stuff like that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's pretty good. And uh, Piper, oh, man, I just, uh, I, I recommend you go and, and, and check this, you know, Check it out, because there's too many gems to even remember. But as usual, Cal Redman is on the side of who's ever on the other side of the microphone. So <laughs> he's just loving Piper, and, and Piper plays into it. He's a very you know intuitive performer and responsive to yeah. whatever he's getting, right? So, I mean, he's like, you're a wonderful human being. And actually, Cal Redman, at one point, he's like, what is Rod Piper? He says, like, I know you're one of my biggest friends. He's like, I am, I am, I am. He's just <laughs> like, you know, it's like the Looney Tunes, like, yeah, you know, with the one dog. <laughs> 
who's chain. just walking along. The other one's yeah. like, anyway. Um, <laughs> so uh, at one point, Piper grabs Redmond and gives him a big smack on the forehead, and Cal Redmond's just in seventh heaven. Well, because Cal Redmond's supporting him, saying that there was something like, I missed what he was referring to, but about a slow count. Like, you won that match, he says to Piper. <laughs> <laughs> and Piper's just like, yeah, yeah you know, like, we are the best interview I've ever had. He's like, well, it takes a man of your integrity and your glasses to see this. And, he, and then he gives him the smooch on the forehead. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. All hail Philadelphia and Spectrum TV. Oh, no, right. Prism TV Prism at the TV. Spectrum. That's the, the venue. Spectrum Wrestling for, for, on Prism. Okay, and the venue, they call it the Spectrum, don't yeah, they? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so then we get to have this uh, revenge grudge match between Bruno San Martino and Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff versus Cowboy Bob Orton and Rowdy Roddy Piper. And, um, well, it's a, it's a chaotic match. It, at one point, I was like, has the bell rung? You know, yeah. we, we were like five to six minutes in of like both guys brawling in the ring, both out guys brawling ring, yeah. out the ring. And I think, yeah, it was like five or six minutes before there was finally two guys on the apron, two guys in the <laughs> yeah, ring. Yeah. At that beginning part, uh, Orndorff and Bruno seemed to be taking turns smashing both of Piper and Orton's heads into the tables. That are, like there was all, For some reason, there was like multiple tables right outside of the ring with people sitting at it, like not just mm-hmm. the monsoon and whoever, but it was also other people. And they're just like bashing their heads off these tables, and then like, and then Bruno switches in, and then he starts bashing their heads off the tables. Oh, I forgot two of the best lines that Piper had. <laughs> Bruno was talking about his fitness, and he said, oh, you know, I run eight miles a day. And then uh, and uh, Piper comes in, oh, yeah, he's running eight, uh, he's running from his wife. That's what he's, eight miles. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, he's lost 40 pounds. Yeah, well, I guess I might have come off his scalp there. And he got a little less hair up out there, don't you, Bruno? Because Bruno used to have the big afro, and now he's just got a wispy comb over. So Piper was on fire with those Yeah, put-downs. so good. Yeah, the opening of this is just an ass-kicking. The good guys are just, like, on them for minutes at a time, just beating the crap out of them, and they're just pinballing all over the place. Yeah, Orndorff comes off the ropes quite a few. I mean, like, as in climbs, a second yeah. and third turnbuckle. Gets all the way to the top rope a couple of times for elbows and fists. Yeah. And, uh, of course, each one of these matches that we've covered has, at one point, uh, somebody's grabbed Cowboy Bob's Orton's cast and used it on Piper. Like, <laughs> That's right, they smack him. Like, yeah. they, they use Orton as a weapon against against Piper. <laughs> yeah, it's a recurring theme. Yeah. So it's a, a very unscientific street fight brawl. And actually, to my surprise, they decide to let the heels win it. It's a double count. Or no, sorry, not double count. You have both San Martino and Orndorff you know, having taken some, uh, oh yeah, okay, now it comes back to me. So it seems like a bit of a botch because a chair gets involved. There absolutely should have been a disqualification. The, so the good clear. guys are outside the ring, and Orton comes out with a chair and hits probably Bruno from behind. Yes, Bruno okay. from behind, right in front of the ref. Like. Yeah, the, the ref is looking at, you know, Bruno and Orndorp and, and counting them and ignores this chair shot. Orton gets back in the ring. The referee continues his count, and he counts out the good guys, That's and right. the heels win. And then the good guys eventually. We're, I mean, what what happens next? They, I know that they the go- fill the ring with like chairs oh. and like tables. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Because or- Orton and Piper are trying to stand their ground, like, ready to fight. Yeah. And then they start looking nervously around as the chairs start landing in the ring. And and then uh, Orndorff throws a table in. Yep. <laughs> and then the good guys get in the ring and the bad guys take off because they don't, for whatever reason, they don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> and then the good guys hang around for 
three or four minutes kicking yeah. the ropes because they're angry that they actually yeah. lost the match. And they end up over at like Monsoon's desk and they're talking to him and Monsoon's like, this is a travesty. You gotta like... You yeah, know. that's right. There's some uh, on-camera <laughs> some, banter with the lobbying. ringside commentators. <laughs> it's really quite entertaining though, but it, it was surprising to sort of be this big revenge r- match where the good guys don't like... I mean, they certainly kick the crap out of Piper Norton for good stretches, but I mean, they don't get the... Considering the way it ends, it's kind of not what you expect. They lose. They lose. Help yourself, and I know you're one of my greatest fans. I, I am. And, 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 I like yeah. you, too. And in fairness yeah. to you, yeah. that, when they were counting, you had that match won, and it was going one, a shoot, two. That's I mean, true. I, I, I mean, that's 100% no one, no one brought, true. No Only that someone with a flag like that and glasses like that could be able to make an estimation like that. You're a wonderful human being. Thank well, you. we're going to see what happens right now. So something that will betray our age is this concept of Saturday morning cartoons. (laughs) Y'all don't know what it was like when there wasn't a whole channel dedicated to... Multiple channels. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Animation, never mind streaming services. Like back in the day, you had CBS, NBC, and ABC competing for eyeballs on Saturday morning. Now, wrestling did become a very important part of our Saturday mornings but for me before I really knew about wrestling I knew about Scooby-Doo you know and uh, um, there were times too where I lived in places that didn't even have one channel like I I think I was in PEI when I was seven years old and the TV was not a part of my life yeah uh, as I lived in the Maritimes Anyway, uh, once a week, the world revolved around youngsters, and that was on TV Saturday morning. I wish I'd had the discipline to be up at 7 a.m. watching the cartoons, you know. (laughs) But there were silly little kid cartoons, and then there were cooler cartoons with swords and monsters. Anyway, at one point, they actually made a Saturday morning cartoon about Hulk Hogan and all his buddies. (laughs) And uh, it landed right at the time where, well, it wasn't actually ideal because I didn't have that foresight to beg somebody to get out the VHS and to record it. Uh, There were lots of shows that I ended up watching because they were on at 10.30 when I was awake. (laughs) But if you were an 8 a.m. slot, no, I didn't end up watching it. So I had all this excitement about the idea of there being a Saturday morning cartoon that featured Hulk Hogan because he had left the AWA uh, far too soon for our tastes. That's right. But I only really got to see it Years later on YouTube, and right. uh, I have vague memories of Bobby Heenan and a bunch of zombies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, one episode featured zombies, okay, but not the flesh eating, bite your face off zombies, but Saturday morning, suitable for all audiences, zombies, <laughs> and mostly just whitish looking guys. And uh, I did watch another clip recently, and the voices are familiar because either the, these are the same actors that we were watching possibly on Hanna-Barbera or, or other stuff. There was different people. The original plan was actually to use the wrestlers themselves, the real voices, and to uh, actually have like the storylines intermingle with the real-life you know, action. But they quickly realized that like schedules and how much traveling the wrestlers were doing and how difficult it would have been at the time to record this material, all these things made them led them to make the decision to not use that and to just use voice actors. So the only real Hulk Hogan you got were was at the end when they had a really cool little kind of, you know, it was only about five 
to 10 seconds, but uh, there was a really exciting song that I was surprised yeah. didn't show up anywhere else. And you saw a real-life Hulk Hogan. The camera was overhead, so they could really emphasize the effect of there he is standing by himself, and then he starts pumping his fist or, like, rallying, and then he gets rushed by, like, dozens of children as the camera pulls back and you see, yeah. like, there's hundreds of Hulkamaniacs surrounding him. And this really cool song, like, the piano's yeah. like, That's right. Well, there's this... That's it. it. That's the Hulk theme, which ended up on the wrestling album. So, like, that re- that song was written for him to be his theme song because McMahon wanted to move away from Eye of the Tiger. Ah. And so they, re- they wrote... Then my, yeah. I love I love the song. I think it was awesome. Yeah, it was, like, me it was too. great. I like yeah. going back now. It's It's got this... Yeah. And they did have little live segments, usually with Mean Gene and oh. different wrestlers. I saw one recently. I was watching a clip. It was Big John Studd. And he's, you know, talking with Mean Gene. He's in his wrestling gear. He's standing there, you know, shirtless. And this woman walks by with this jug of what looks like some sort of, you know, blender fruit drink or something. Like someone's, you know, nutritional smoothie? supplement. Smoothie, maybe. And I think she's supposed to be taking it to Hulk, but he, like, John Studd takes it. You know, he's like, give that, give that to me. And then he, then he takes the drink and then he makes the sour face. He doesn't like it. So it's all very childish, light, sort of very... It's like these watered-down versions of their characters because they, you know, they're obviously they're not they're appealing to the youngest of ages here. So, and you, you have know. the camps. You've got Hogan and his buddies are Junkyard Dog, of course, yeah, Andre the Giant, I believe Jimmy Snuka, Jimmy Snuka, even though he was Wendy, gone, he was still in it. Yeah, Wendy Richter, yeah, Captain Albano, yeah, and on the he- Tito and Steamboat got to make a couple of appearances, I believe, okay. and uh, and then on the heel side, they were led by as they should be, yes, Rowdy Roddy. That's right, and you've got Sheik and Volkov, of course, perfectly, <laughs> you know, cartoon characters for yeah. this kind of thing. Uh, and then on Big John Studd is Big John Studd was there, the yeah, cartoon version of him, Mula to oppose uh, Richter, and Heenan yeah. did make a couple of appearances. He actually wasn't on very much. I thought right. he was on more than he was when okay. I kind of looked into it. I was like, oh, he actually wasn't on that much. Right, and uh, so a famous actor from Everyone Loved Raymond, so the older brother, I believe it's Brad Garrett, I believe is the name. He's actually the voice of Hulk Hogan. Yeah, well, it's deep. It works. <laughs> yeah, he's got that deep voice. And the other thing is that this Hulk Hogan, he's got no problems with the hairline, dude. Yeah, yeah. So I do remember watching it. I don't have a t- I didn't watch them over and over, so I don't have a ton of memories. I do remember there was like one episode where like this movie set wanted to use like junkyard dogs, like because they all had their own vehicles or something like that, you know. And uh, they wanted to use his beater, his jalopy or whatever. And Rod- Roddy Piper was all upset that they were going to use his, you know, junkyard. So he wanted him to use his. His so, big kilt. His uh, he had a bagpipe mobile. Yeah, he had a bagpipe mobile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he does all. I can't remember how it works out, but he pulls some shenanigans to th- so things get switched around. So his vehicle gets used instead. But then he very quickly realizes as soon as they stop filming, start filming that the only purpose of their vehicle is to get destroyed <laughs> so uh, he, he like sends his vehicle in to get like i think crushed or something it's just stuff like that just silly good. silly fun stuff i don't think orndorff was on the court no nope, no yeah. he wasn't yeah no no so it's just it was that time of like making money in all these different ways that nobody had ever thought of with wrestling you know all those different types of merchandise beyond i think like in the old territory days got people like jim Cornette as kids they broke into the businesses like photographers and they would take pictures of the wrestlers and then sell them you know, at the show you could get like a glossy picture of like your favorite wrestler from somebody like a jim Cornette, depending on what arena you're in but and there was you know some minor merchandise you know shirts and stuff like that often sort of instigated by the wrestlers themselves but you know man he figured it out it was like lunch boxes and like pencil cases and duffel bags and just you know on and on and on and on and eventually you know like the stuff they had for sale like in the wdf magazine when it came out in those early years there's just so much stuff in there and 
I do got to say, I think there's a distinct lack of rock on this program. Rock and wrestling? There, yeah, uh, yeah, that's th- right. There's no Cindy Lauper no, or no. nothing. No Bruce Springsteen. There's no, no rock on this rock and wrestling. No, it's just, yeah, it's that idea that it's supposed to be connected, even though it kind of isn't. <laughs> In the title, and that's it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, but it's CBS, and it's always like, you know, they as they're making this big frontier onto NBC with Saturday Night's Main Event... They, at the same time, were in relationship with with CBS, a totally competing and different network. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah. Mm. And that's Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling cartoon. Without the rock. Without the rock. <laughs> okay, we're just about ready to wrap up the first half, and we do want to take a moment, we want to pause and look back, because when I put together a list of matches, one of the matches we wanted to watch, couldn't find a video for it, and then... Suddenly, <laughs> recently, did find the video, and it's such an important match that we want to just you know we want to go back and look at it, but also because of the context of it, we don't want to be out of out of out of order. Let's say so we want you know letting everyone know this took place June 29th, so chronologically it would have been one of the first things we would have been talking about, but we're going to talk about it now, and that is Paul Orndorff and Hulk Hogan versus Roddy Piper and Cowboy Bob Orton in a tag match. Which should have been the WrestleMania main event, except for the fact that they needed the celebrity angle to increase the promotion and bring more viewers. But it is now known that Mr. T, uh, I mean, if you watch the match, too, you see that T struggles at WrestleMania. So a much better match would have been. Well, you're right. It would have been a better match. But I mean, Orndorff by WrestleMania, they would have had to have done something to turn Orndorff a good guy before WrestleMania. I mean, Snooker could have been in there, let's say, with uh, Hogan instead, right? Like maybe Hogan and Snooker versus Piper and Orndorff. That, you know, that obviously would have been a better match than T. Yeah. Well, even after WrestleMania, the fallout for Ref- WrestleMania seems obvious that this is where you're going to go. And, uh, it doesn't get a lot of airtime or it doesn't really seem to be uh, much of a house show fallback. But you've got WrestleMania and you've got Paul Orndorff abandoned by Piper and Orton while Orndorff and Piper are fighting Hogan. So, you know, if the bad guys turn on one of the other bad yeah. guys, you think that there's going to be a team up of these two good guys. Yeah. Uh, but it only happens this once. Really, they pretty quickly, they move Hogan on to other contenders. And I now realize that Orndorff was drawing so much heat with his Piper feud that they quickly realized we're going to have excitement with Hogan no matter who he wrestles. So let's separate him from the Piper Orndorff angle and uh we'll just have two good things instead of one incredibly yeah, great thing. allow them to fill their cards in a different way and split up their their forces as they mm-hmm. toured across the country in multiple venues at the same time but i'm glad that we do have a record of the natural fallout from wrestlemania yeah which is you know hogan takes on i mean in the long term hogan does take on orndorff as his you know number yeah, one buddy exactly yeah and so but that's more of a they they start wrestling you know guys like in in the future they'll right. r- wrestle our famous Stud and Bundy powerhouse team, um, but there'll be there is bonus content that we encourage you to check out on Patreon covering that in detail. So uh, we're big fans of Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Definitely. Anyway, so let's get to this match, which, as you say, occurred earlier than much of the content that we covered in uh, that we've covered so far in, in this second episode of Legendary Wrestling Obsession. 
So this is so great because no modern WWE producers got his hands on it. And you know you're in for a good time when you get to hear the original music. That's right. I'm talking Rocky III, Eye of the Tiger Survivor. Oh, yeah. And (laughs) so the music's playing. And uh, and it sounds good. And they're coming out together. They they look awesome as a a pair coming out. Hogan and Orndorff. Yeah. Yeah, And you get the backstage. Like, they do the walk together. You know, you get the the gorilla position, Hogan and, and Orndorff together there's a funny clip actually of like a hallway where some people with the backstage passes have yeah, got yeah, their yeah. you know their red solo cup drinks and they're just like shooting the <laughs> shit <laughs> and hogan and orndorff are standing in, there waiting you know, yeah like, in the yeah. background i know that was a bit of a a bit of a slip and hogan's up. got this uh he's, he's got the shredded he's got a sh- white shirt on like american made but it's shredded at the bottom you know so like right. it's a little bit of a different look and the other thing he's doing is that uh Headband that he like yeah. would pull down over one eye, like yeah. half pirate, <laughs> pirate. Thing. yeah. And so, <laughs> as they Hogan. come out, like, and he's like eyeballing the bad guys, he's got a bit of a lifts up his thing, peekaboo, I yeah. see you, pulls it back down. <laughs> it's kind of silly how he likes to cover one of his eyes with yeah. his headband, but anyway, so uh, incredible excitement in the crowd to have Hogan and Orndorff versus Piper and something and crazy happens on the walkout, the camera can't catch it, but like you're following them out, and then it's like the cameraman gets stuck behind these security guards. So instead of like the camera at the back of Hogan and Orndorff, it's at the back of these jabronis, <laughs> like these security guards. And I think somebody pulls Hogan into the crowd, like not into the crowd, but it maybe grabs his arm and pulls him into the railing. Cause all of a sudden, like the camera shifts and there's this big commotion at the rail, like, you know, in front of them and you can see Orndorff, but you can't see Hogan. And then finally, you know, next thing you know, it kind of cuts to a new camera, like a different camera. And now Hogan's up on the apron, but I do think there was a moment where maybe maybe a fan grabbed Hogan's arm and wouldn't let go or something, and there was a bit of a you know uh, delay. Right. Well, these are the days before they had a wider aisle. Yeah. You're gonna walk that aisle. <laughs> Someone's gonna grab your arm and hold you. <laughs> you need a nice wide aisle. Yeah. But man, when they get in the ring and there's that moment like before the match is gonna start and the music's still playing, it's still blaring loud, and you know the the two teams are staring off at each other. And Hogan's doing this big pr- presentation of Mr. Orndorff. He, ke- he keeps looking over at Piper and Orton and pointing to Mr. Wonderful, like, you know, there you are, here you have it, like, you know, this is what you asked for kind of thing. Over, It's really over overdone, but it's, it's Yeah, funny. Hogan's got this kind of campy way of, uh, you know, overacting, you know, for the yeah. crowd, really sort of pantomime theater style. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, that's right. He does a lot of that. I, anyway, um, so... The uh, before the music even ends, oh, it's so great! The action begins. That's right. And Piper, Piper, kind of like tries to dub like a, does a flying tackle, but sort of uh, misses. <laughs> misses completely. Yeah. Orndorff sidesteps him, and so he kind of with his right arm, he's like tries to right hand tries yeah, to yeah, swipe yeah. out. But anyway, it looks like his neck and his head bounce off the bottom rope, uh, Piper. So it's and then and then right away, Orndorff's on him, like giving yeah. it to him. So it's so great. Mm-hmm. Lots of action. And, uh, of course, somebody's going to grab Orton's cast and hit Piper with it. happens <laughs> <laughs> pretty quick. But, yeah, we get, a f- we get like, three, four, five seconds of, like, good brawling uh, to the music. And I just – and we were laughing going, like, they need the sound editor because they, they cut the music off just a couple of seconds before the chorus. And it was like, no, keep going. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great frenetic, you know, opening. It's so fa- – everything's happening so fast. I think Hogan ends up on the outside with Orton, and they're just brawling. Like, you know, all these matches we've seen, they just – they fight. They sure do. So lots of cheating and lots of, uh, you know, emotional uh, punches. Yeah. <laughs> emotional punches. <laughs> yeah, the, the stakes are high in this match. 
the details in the middle are a little less foggy than the strange things that occurred towards the end. So not only have they got the cast, but there's uh, <laughs> tape around the cast so that, you know, the choking can happen. Yeah. And also Piper's got some brass knuckles in his trunks. Yeah. Well, at one point he starts involving the shirt. The shirt becomes like, oh, no, that's the Bruno match. Sorry, we missed that. But that was the thing Jeff was thinking about was this, like, where did this choking happening that he's seeing? And if we think it was just for a second flashing back to that match, it's like there's a lot of choking with a shirt in that match. And, it's, and then Orndorff's choking Piper. And then Orton comes behind Orndorff and starts choking him. It's like a yeah. train of choking. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, back to this match. Right. So uh, great match. I'm glad we got to see it. And, yeah. um as far as what happens, uh, there's a bizarre, looks like the booking got botched a little bit towards the end where, you know, sometimes a person is supposed to not know who's behind them, but how could they not? Because they saw them, you know, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. And but so things get a little weird. Piper's going to hit Orndorp with some brass knucks, but he ends up kind of like sizing them up and winding up and walking backwards away from Orndorp to really get a good punch at him that he, that Hogan's waiting behind him and grabs his arms. And then, you know, <laughs> now Piper is like, completely helpless and then piper kind of drops the brass knucks but in, in a weird way he throws them to yeah, orndorff he, he does or, it in such a way that orndorff can catch them yeah yeah drop slash throws and so orndorff gets the brass knucks and you know uh plays to the crowd they're like yeah 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 so orndorff backs up bounces off the ropes and goes to hit piper but orton from outside the ring has actually Along the mat, he's got his hands now on Piper's feet, and he yanks Piper. He ends up pulling Piper through Hogan's legs yeah, to yeah. the out to the to the outside of the ring, as um, Orndorff is you know sizing up this big brass knuckle blow, and so the brass knuckles end up hitting Hogan, and this yeah. is normally how they split teams up, right? Exactly. You, you know, and so the the it's really weird. It almost looks like that he because Piper disappears at the last second, Orndorff sees it and doesn't actually clobber Hogan with the brass yeah. knuckles. A la... His fist definitely hits Hogan in the leg, but Hogan doesn't sell it at all like he's yeah. been punched. Because he's going to go for Piper's jaw. Piper yeah. gets yanked away. Orndorff ends up punching Down. Hogan. In <laughs> yeah, hitting him in the thigh and like almost headbutting Hogan in the nuts. Oh, yeah. He, t he runs shoulder first into his stomach pretty much. You know, yeah. Because Piper's it, all of a sudden It looks there. really awkward. So they just keep moving on. Like, yeah. It's like nobody stops to say, what just happened? You know, the crowd's <laughs> just cheering. Like, never mind that weird finish. Oh, I guess we neglected to say the pinfall was, of course, Bob Orton because Piper famously wouldn't job. That's right. So uh, was that a backslide or a wrestling? Piper, Piper and Orton are on the outside fighting, and the camera misses part of it. It looks like Orton's lifting Hogan up for a body slam, but Hogan goes over his shoulders and lands behind him, so that he's like, you know, ta-da, I'm behind you. And then he does, he rolls him up from behind, like you know, it is a roll up. up. Yeah. Okay. And it's a very quick count. Yeah. That's right. Joey Morella has Vince McMahon, <laughs> or Jesse would pick on Joey yeah, Morella. Yeah, that's right. To tease Monsoon. <laughs> yep. And uh, so, but what was really, uh, after the match, you get way more action. So the heels, I guess we, we definitely, the botch we talked about, those brass knuckles, was like the end of the post-match schmozzle. But, but the post-match schmozzle started with the good guys in the ring taunting the bad guys. And the bad guys are like, yeah, let's go get them. So... <laughs> Of all the silly thing, Orton is like, okay, but first I need a chair. So o Orton gets a chair and he throws it into the <laughs> ring and Hogan picks it up. It's like, come here, I hate you with a chair. 
and then Orton's kind of like, hmm, that wasn't a good idea. But and then Piper's like, don't worry, I still got brass knuckles. <laughs> so they rushed them anyway. <laughs> the heels go into the ring to fight the good guys. Hogan's got a chair. Orndorff's just waiting. Yeah. And uh, Rowdy's got his brass knuckles. So, like I said, all this stuff happens to the point where uh, Orndorff's going to use the brass knuckles on Piper. But the weird botchy thing, now the heels are on the outside and the good guys do the pose down, yeah. crowd goes nuts. And the music, they get their music back. And they get yeah. their music back. So there was like four minutes of action after yeah. the actual pinball. There, there was, they did land one brass knuckle shot to Orndorff before the good guys took back over. And it's interesting because Orndorff seems to shake it off pretty quickly. Like, you know, he, he sells it when it happens, but he's fairly quickly like yeah. after that b- back and ready to fight. Yeah, he doesn't blade and no. he does recover. I mean, sometimes when a we- uh, uh, an object will take a participant out of the fight, and that's, that's right. They're exactly. Done, yeah, we've know. seen other things with Orndorff, you know, cast shots, whatnot, where he really sells it, and he's done for a while. Yeah, yeah. So the cast shot becomes somehow survivable in this because there's been cast shots. I mean, this first half has been loaded with shots from the cast. Yeah, from yeah. Cowboy Bob Orton. <laughs> first from Kansas City, weighing 249 pounds, Ace Cowboy Bob. His partner from Glasgow, Scotland, weighing 233 pounds, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have our section on corrections, sort of uh, expansions, let's say. It's not always about correcting things, but just adding more context. Expansions. We're buying up all the talent. That's right. We're we're gonna, gonna, to... <laughs> everybody's going to work for the legendary wrestling obsession. Part two, or 2.0. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and, and then, of course, we're going to get right into the Saturday's main event. We'll have some fun with the section we like to call What If? And that'll close the show out. So stick around. We'll be right back. 